0: You're listening to The Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Well, welcome to The Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the top 10 masculine movies ever made. I've got two special guests to help discuss these masculine movies. On the one hand, we have Pastor Mike Denna. Mike is, well, you also go by the name Abe Froman. <laughs> What, what does that name mean, Mike? <laughs> I'm the sausage king. You are <laughs> the sausage king of Chicago. That's me. Anytime we cook out, Mike has sausage. So he is the sausage king of Chicago. We also have Isaiah Pettyjohn. Isaiah, what do you do, man? I am a 911
1: dispatcher here at the local com- communication center Do police, fire, and ambulance and everything else.
0: Have you ever had to respond to someone choking on a sausage?
1: Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Not respond to, no. We do do food-choking calls, but uh, I don't remember one with a sausage.
0: Do you remember an Abe Froman at any point in your call I, history? I thought it was me. I, you thought you were Abe Froman? Yeah. These guys are competing. So one thing you got to know about Isaiah <laughs> is Mike is his father-in-law. And rumor has it, Isaiah actually married into the family so he could be related to Mike. Is that true? You know it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's You're going to get me in so much trouble. <laughs>
0: Well, it's good to have you guys on the show today. Uh, As you guys can tell, we all go to church together. We've got our cigars. What are we smoking, guys? Aroma de Cuba. De Cuba. And we've got some libations. We've got the Tullamore Dew. And is anybody drinking anything else? No?
1: There's beer and stuff, too.
0: I just (laughs) (laughs) hasn't made it to the table yet. (laughs) It's going to be a long show. It's going to be a good show. So we're going to jump into our selections. But before we do that, guys, I want to ask a question to each of you. Because there's a lot of films that didn't make our cuts. So I, w- I want to ask this. What is a masculine film?
2: Well, the one thing we didn't look for in a masculine film was a movie that was all about machismo. Um, what we were looking for is godly masculinity. Um, many of the things that we chose in our films were um, characteristics and traits that are held by godly men even though in some of the movies we've picked, we disagreed strongly with the stand someone took, but it was their stand. They took it with an uncompromising manner.
0: That's right. So, so we're looking for masculine virtue. Um, are you guys trying to tell me Rambo's not number one?
1: Right. Yeah. Things like Rambo, The Expendables predator those were all suggestions Whoa.
0: i feel like we're picking on basically yeah, arnold. stallone and arnold right now
1: <laughs> and i mean there are probably some redeeming characteristics to those films but that's not the role model that we're trying to set
0: i, I feel like we're kind of throwing mike under the bus but he wanted conan on our list <laughs> also arnold <laughs> i like the music uh, <laughs> no, <love> the music <laughs> no he got vetoed needless to say What's well, interesting, I posed this question on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, what are the top masculine movies? We got a lot of responses. On Twitter particularly, there was a strong response, guys, from the lesbian lumberjack dykes and Lutheran pastors. Why? <laughs> That's right. That's a real thing. Why do you think, you know, a lot of these people s- said films don't have genders. Why do you think this pissed people off? Because one of the things that our society
2: has tried to erase is any distinction between men and women mm. and i read a review years ago about one of my favorite movies i won't say what it is right now but one of the what he said in the review was this is a movie where the men are men and
0: he went on <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah and i think as our culture blurs those lines even calling out things that are obvious and we noted this on Facebook. Most people could, could tell these films are, you know, it's, it's clear what some sense of what masculinity is. Right, yeah. It was also interesting, we had uh, Chris Tonto Peranto weigh in. Of course, Chris, this was on Facebook, Chris is from 13 Hours Fame. And so I wanted to read his list. It's tongue-in-cheek, as you'll see. Uh, Chris listed these as the top masculine movies of all time. Number one, Clueless. <laughs> is, that, uh, is that not right? I'm going to go with no. He's he's going with no. That's Isaiah. He's got a no on that one. Mike, are you a no on Clueless? I'm a no. Jeez, you guys are brutal. <laughs> Number two, maybe you'll be persuaded by this one. Number two is Can't Buy Me Love. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, I don't think I've okay, seen that one either. So that's a no. <laughs> you you don't even need to see it. Uh, yeah. Sex in the City. Well, that's going to be a hard that's no. That's a no. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a no for me, dog. We've got the producers. No, that's a hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we've got how Stella got her groove back. Also hard now. <laughs> hard, hard pass. Now, Chris was obviously joking, but we had uh, we had a pretty good laugh. We also had a list on Twitter uh, that was, I believe it was all transvestite films. <laughs> I didn't actually, I haven't seen any of those films, but I looked them up and it was, yeah, it was, it was bad. Not masculine. Not masculine. No. So I want to talk a little bit about our criteria for film selections. Again, masculine virtue and specifically not machismo what films we talked a little bit about this but what films does this exclude
1: well like the ones we've already mentioned i think it kind of excludes the rambo movies even though he's you know definitely a manly person
2: it excludes the terminator oh what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Terminator.
0: Well, and if, if, if you look at those films, so, you know, we've talked about this before, but Die Hard, The Expendables. The Expendables, yeah. You know, films like that, wh- what is it about them? Because they're action movies, and so men are attracted to them. But I guess in my mind, they're sort of like uh, caricatures or... Right. Right. I don't know how you would describe they're that. Sh- they're shallow. Right.
1: As far as, like, character. There's no deep conviction. Right.
0: Right. So when I think of the films that we'll talk about... And and we'll get to that in just a second. I think of the masculine virtues, central to manhood, things like my life for yours. There's personal sacrifice, right? You've got physical, mental courage, endurance, fortitude, etc. So I want to talk about some of the honorable mentions that we've had on our list. We have a good, good friend named Rick. And so for you, Rick, because we felt so bad for you, we, we want to pick... The the first honorable mention is Shawshank Redemption. I think this could have been on the list. Isaiah is Rick's brother-in-law, and so he. I just want to throw him under the bus right now. He's the one that vetoed this. Me and Mike were totally good with it. I was fine with Shawshank. You were good with it, right? I was. Isaiah, I feel like you should defend why this is not on the list. Uh, well, it's hard to even sit through
1: to begin with. Like it's just not one that I would choose to watch, and wow. so I guess maybe having not. Sat through it well. I may not be able to pick out the right moments in the film to critique it, to give good examples. I mean, I know there's the redemption
2: arc throughout the story. So, Mike,
0: what did you say about Red? The redemption story. Tell me. Andy
2: Dufresne is a, I could get in trouble for this, but he's a Christ figure. He's in prison for something he didn't do. And long story short, he makes the best out of a bad situation. And through the story, we see he not only. Um, right the wrong he redeems his friend right and um, Shawshank Redemption is a I consider that a great movie because
0: of that I think one of my favorite lines in that entire movie is the little speech that Andy gives on hope
3: forget forget that there
4: are places in the world that aren't made out of stone that there's a There's something inside that they can't get to, that they they can't touch. It's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is
2: a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's
3: got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea Like Brooks did And if
4: you've come this far Maybe you're willing to come a little further You remember the name of the
2: town Don't you? Say what in
4: I could use a good man To help me get my project on wheels I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you, and finds you well. Your friend, Andy.
2: I mean, yeah, hope is, without hope, everything we do is meaningless. And so many of the movies, the hero or the protagonist is about giving hope not only for himself, but for the others that he's involved with.
0: Right. So, so some cool masculine virtue there. Um, other films that we talked about, uh, Mike's List was Apocalypto. Yes. Apocalypto is not in English.
2: A lot of people turn it off because of that. But Apocalypto, I, I don't have any great quotes in the movie because they're all in Aztec. But it's um, mostly (laughs) just him running through the jungle. (laughs) But the entire movie is a struggle to save his family. Right. And he uh, overcomes incredible odds, obstacles to save his family. And um, the end of the movie is also very interesting. The end of Apocalypto. You see him seeing a a, a ship in the distance. Their age is coming to an end. I mean, he's not aware of the significance of that. But that's the way the movie ends. And it's an interesting movie. And um, also directed by Mel Gibson, which I think we're going to talk about him a little bit tonight.
0: A few times. Maybe. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> One of the things about Apocalypto that is fascinating, and we've talked about this to some degree, um, the protagonist, the hero in the story, um, at the beginning, it's his friends who are mocking him, making fun of him. Also, but in doing this, they're encouraging him to become a better man. Right. Yep. And um, it, through mockery. Sometimes we do that. And conflict. And conflict, yeah.
0: When I would say that uh, whether you're talking about military, but this is true even for the church context. Men in, in any sphere, part of the way that men better each other is the teasing and the razzing. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I've had to explain this to my wife. That's actually, a, that's something that's endearing. Yes. Particularly among men. I, right. It doesn't work as well when you do it with your wife. Nope, not for, at all. <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs>
1: for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, I love that. So we, we've got some other films on here. Uh, some of these might surprise you. I'll, I'll get this one out of the way. We've got Rocky. Rocky's an honorable mention. I feel like, you know, and with any of these, they're, they're sort of on the edge. They could have they easily made the list. Rocky, the first one, is good. Now, if we're super woke, maybe people think we didn't pick Rocky because we're woke. Because let's face it, he beat up like three black dudes and a communist. <laughs> right. <laughs> if we're looking at the series. yeah. But we're not woke, we promise. <laughs> but I I think uh, hopefully as we make some of our selections, it'll be clear. But definitely a good film, yeah? Yes. Rocky, um
2: 1976. I think it came out, and interestingly enough, the fight at the end takes place on the celebration of the Bicentennial. Interesting. And Rocky loses the first fight. I Spoiler alert, spoiler I guess. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, I think everyone knows that. But Rocky set a goal. He, he knew he couldn't win, which seems odd. But he wanted to go the distance, and he did. But Rocky II, and I'm in the minority here, is my favorite of the series. Because in Rocky Two he triumphs but he only does that after he gets the go ahead from
0: his wife basically
2: right I find, and it's a totally different change of pace at that at that point
0: yeah i think it's a good point i actually watching all the films i actually like the two creed movies better is that blasphemous
3: <laughs> i
0: am And it's seen not because them. he's black i just think they're good i haven't seen them you haven't seen them well, no, you're missing no. out you need i mean especially creed the first one right so it's like apollo creed's kid right right and so there's there's some great father themes, okay? I think in that movie. So you you got to check that out, Mike. That that could easily be on here as well. So some of the other ones, we have some sports movies. We got Rudy. He was too short to make the list, unfortunately. Rudy. <laughs> I'm sorry, but he keeps trying like you do enough lists, Rudy's going to make the team. We know that. Right. He just didn't make the first cut. He's used to that. Right. Right. But he didn't give up, which he, is the whole point. He's not giving up on our list either. If we do this again, Rudy might make the list. Like the third or fourth time. we got <laughs> to right. cut him a few times. Somebody's got to get hurt first. <laughs> right. Poor Rudy. He went on to better things in Lord of the Rings, so he's okay. Okay, some of the other films, we've got Chariots of Fire. That's a great film. We've got Gettysburg. Now, the next one on here was Mike's Choice. This was Gods and Generals, and I think Isaiah liked this as well. My only quibble with Gods and Generals is it's 17 hours long. <laughs> Is that true Mike? 17 16? It's, it's not quite that long,
2: but just it's, just a little it's, short. It's
0: lengthy. But a good film. Good film. Isaiah, you like that one as well. So we've got Saving Private Ryan. That's a good film. Yeah. Barry Pepper. He's right. going gonna, to We're going to talk about Barry Pepper again. Right. Yeah. Barry Pepper is
1: well, I mean, definitely has the self-sacrifice themes and the uh, you know, giving of yourself for others, that type of stuff, is definitely present sure. there. And,
2: yeah.
0: and one of the best war movies ever made, no question. Yeah,
2: And you have to love a sniper that quotes scripture.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's probably my favorite part. That's what I mean. <laughs> Tom Hanks is great. Why is this not in the top ten? So I would say it's, if you want to say that it's the best
1: war movie ever made, or... Well, I said one of them. One of the best. But it's very... I don't think it had anything specific that we wanted to point out, aside from it being a good war movie. But just being a good war movie doesn't necessarily mean you've got something role, you know, role model to talk about there. Right. I mean, that, that isn't necessarily demonstrated better somewhere else. Though the, though the last lines of the movie are pretty
2: fantastic. This uh, is, earn is it this, Matt, Matt Damon? Um, earn this when he's
0: at the, at the gravesite. Right. Um, yeah, it's powerful. It's very powerful. I, it's also a powerful scene, right, when the mother, they come to the mother. And How many brothers were there? It's like three or four. It might have been four. Well, three died in in the movie. I think
2: she lost three, and it was based on a true story. That that aspect of it was based on a true story. Interesting. The Sullivan brothers.
0: Interesting. So yeah, definitely a great film. Uh, some other ones on here: Dirty Harry. You could name a, a couple of these. Some some real famous one-liners. Of course, Dirty Harry. Um, I think Mike went to see that for his fortieth birthday. So. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We're throwing shade. <laughs> no, that movie came out when I was three.
0: <laughs> Did you say thirty? <laughs> it's 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 getting savage already in here. Uh, another one on the list. We've got Enemy at the Gates. Ed Harris is great. Jude Law is great. Rachel Weisz, great. Fantastic movie. It's a great film. And uh, then the
1: crotchety old sniper, which uh, Ron Perlman, that's who it is.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and of course, you know, you get to see how stupid the Russians were. Had some brave people, though. Very oh, brave. Yeah, very brave. Brave of, people. Bad. Of, communism bad. Let's just say that now. Rocky Rocky bad. showed us that.
2: Right. Communism <laughs> bad. Nazism are, bad. Are you trying to say that
1: communism leads to a lack of appreciation for human life? That's exactly what I'm saying. Perfect.
3: That was right.
0: <laughs> Perfect. And, and Rocky defeated the USSR, by the way. So we have to give him credit where it's due. Okay. A couple, another, a couple other films that we've got on here. we got Lone Survivor. Of course, a great film. Um, this is uh, Marcus Luttrell. Right. We've got 13 Hours, another great film, Chris right. Tonto Peranto. Um, so, great film. We've got, this is an interesting one The Man from Snowy River. Excellent movie. Excellent. Who's in that, Mike? Oh, I don't know you his probably name. Probably no one you would recognize um, the name of. Australian, right? It's Australian. Most
2: of, the, I mean, Kirk Douglas is in it, but I think he's in the second one. Yeah, he's in the first one. That he is. plays two parts. He plays Spur and, I can't remember the guy's name, but the movie ends with him saying he's a man, brother, the man from Snowy River. Right. So, yeah, it's, a, it's all about becoming a man.
0: Um, he learns what it means. Right. So, some great films. Next, we got, we got two more. Three more. I just made one up on the spot. Perfect. We got Master and Commander. Right. Well, Russell Crowe, Automatic Man movie. Right. Well, plus you have, especially the story with the midshipman. Right.
1: Who loses his arm. and Right. There's a lot of, like. It's another spoiler. Uh, yeah.
3: The, yeah. This is <laughs> going to be a, be a s- lot of spoilers. spoilers.
1: <laughs> if, you, if you've not seen these films, then I suggest you, it's their old. Just you should go probably watch see them. All of them
0: first. <laughs> Everything we watch, go watch it first, and then you'll be fine. So we had a lot of people mention this. This wasn't on my list, but I can understand why it was there. Lonesome Dove. Isaiah is hemming and hawing on this one. (laughs) I'm not sure that I've ever seen it. Okay, so you can't So I can't really speak to it. Mike, you've seen it. No, I have not. What in the world? (laughs) Okay, well, we'll repent later and go watch
1: that. It's another one of those longest movies ever made.
0: Well, it's a miniseries, right? So, but
2: they drink rainier beer.
0: (laughs) That's why it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It is what I uh,
1: like. The comment that comes with Lonesome Dove is that it has one of the best friendship portrayals, especially in the latter half of the end. Um, So that interests me. I've just never, never seen it.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Some other ones that might make the list *Quigley down under. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Especially if you like guns. That's it seems like every shooting event I go to people want to talk about Quigley. Well, and who wouldn't, I mean, yeah, if you could get your
1: hands on one of those, that would be fairly awesome. Yeah. Sharp's repeating rifle would be oh. about the pinnacle
2: of... He's a pretty good shot, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit.
0: Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> what, what does he say after he shoots the
3: dude? said I never had much use for one. Never said I didn't know how to use it.
0: What a great line. So, guys, I want to
4: jump into our top 10 now. Number 10. Drum roll, please. Okay, well, we'll just
0: edit that in. Okay. We'll edit the drum roll. <laughs> Jacob tried. <laughs> he tried real hard. So number 10 on our list, this is why Rocky Balboa didn't make it in my mind. Number 10 is Cinderella Man. So Cinderella Man, we'll go through a few things. This was released in 2005. It had an 8.0 rating on IMDb, which is pretty high. That's pretty good. Very yeah. high. It's, it's higher than a lot of, you know, the films that we'll talk about on here. Of course, features Russell Crowe, we got Renee Zellweger, and we've got Paul Giamatti. Interestingly enough, it didn't do super hot at the box office, but it was nominated for three Academy Awards. Okay, so so, synopsis for Cinderella Man, one of my favorite movies of all time. It follows the real-life story of James J. Braddock. Uh, And so James J. Braddock, he's a boxer, he breaks his hand, they go through the Great Depression, he has a lot of money, and he's pretty prominent in the beginning of the movie. They lose everything. Uh, Jim literally has to go to the boxing club hat in hand and beg for money to get his kids back. They lose power. There's this struggle, this fatherly struggle. I remember one of the points in the movie, uh, May, who is Jim's wife, they're sitting at the table. They have nothing at their table. They've sold everything. It's been years. They're in poverty. And they're Catholics. So they go to pray, and Jim says, I'm all prayed out. And it's poignant to me as a man, because I've been at those points where I've said to myself, I'm all prayed out. Doesn't seem like God's answering, uh, but Jim keeps working. And so he broke his hand. It forced him to work on the docks. His left hand gets strong. He never had a left hook. And he gets this chance to fight. And Paul Giamatti's character says to him, Jim, I got a fight. And let me tell you, the only reason you're getting this fight is because no one else would take it. And Jim said, I don't care how much, how much money, and he said $250. He said, for $250, I would fight your mother.
3: <laughs> and there's a lot of great
0: lines like that. I hope I'm selling you guys on how great this film is. So as I said, three Academy Awards, including Best Supporting Actor. That was for Paul Giamatti. He's had a really good career after that film. It's a Ron Howard film. And yeah, it's like the quintessential underdog, family man, Ah, uh, probably one of the most poignant scenes in the movie. Uh, Jim has to go on welfare, which still isn't enough. But he goes on welfare, and after he makes his money back boxing, he goes to the welfare office and he hands her a roll of cash. And on the piece of paper is every dollar he's taken from the state of New Jersey. And I mean, it's one of those that, as a man, it just brings tears to your eyes, right? right. Because he's he's providing for his family. He's, I mean, doing everything he possibly can. And so I think inspiring for men. And I think it's, it's richer and deeper than Rocky, which is why I would pick it above Rocky, for sure. Uh, I showed it to Benjamin, my oldest. Uh, he watched the film, and he said, Dad, that, that, that film is amazing.
2: And it's a true story.
0: And it's a true story. Right. So, yeah, one of the things that uh, the film portrays is just this, you know, it's a Cinderella story, but it actually happened in this guy that's just tougher than nails. By the time he wins the heavyweight championship, he's probably about Mike's age, so early 70s. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just hitting below the belt, as we'd say in boxing. Um, Angelo Dundee, by the way, is one of the trainers. He was Muhammad Ali's trainer. So the film has a very realistic feel to it. Um, It was interesting. Angelo Dundee, before he died, he said... Uh, in training Russell Crowe. I mean, they, they went through the whole training wow. regimen. He said I, he could have been a very good boxer. So, uh, interesting. Yeah, that's number 10. Number 10 on our list. So, we'll move along, guys. Number 9. Hopefully, one of you has actually seen this movie. <laughs> number 9 on the list, Gran Torino. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've both seen that. Oh, yeah, Gran Torino. It's great. So, released in 2008, Gran Torino had an 8.1 rating on IMDb. Starring, of course, Clint Eastwood. Most of the other actors in the film are not really all that big name or notable. Of course right, directed by Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood is, right. is the focal point of this film. This surprised me. It was not name, nominated for any Oscars. A lot of people thought it got snubbed. You think they were right?: Well it, I think it was yeah. snubbed. I mean, what for are the, sure I mean, it's a top 10 film, not just man movies, but I think one of the best films of all time. I mean, for certain aspects, for sure, yeah. I can
2: see why it got snubbed, though. Why? By the Hollywood elite? It
0: it was not a PC film. Not at
2: all. No, not even, yeah, a little bit. Very non-PC,
1: very... Which is why it's fantastic. Right. Because if you have to conform to something that's politically correct, you're probably lying about something.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So, this synopsis of the movie, uh, Walt Kowalski, that's... Clint Eastwood's name, yeah. character, he befriends his Hmong. How do you say that? It's Hmong. Hmong.
2: No, just Hmong. Hmong. Do I say Hmong? <laughs> <"H?" laughs> just Hmong. <laughs> Hmong. We're from California, we know.
1: <laughs>
0: we know. So he, supposed he, to he befriends tell his that. <laughs> Hmong neighbors, and the young man is, you know, in the beginning caught stealing from him. His name is Tao, and again, not PC, he calls him Toad. Right. Um, but one of the cool things about the movie is that he really takes... Toad, Tao, under his wing. Um, And there's a lot of fatherly masculinity in the film. He teaches him how to work with his hands. He buys him tools. Um, Teaches him responsibility. He teaches him responsibility, how to fix faucets. He gets him a job with his contractor friends. Um, And there's, you know, he's helping him get, you know, Tao doesn't know how, you like that girl, go talk to her. So he's coaching him through these things. Those are very fatherly things that in our culture we don't have. Now, one of the things I want, to, I want to ask you, and I'll ask Mike, because you have a lot of a lot of sage wisdom and years behind you. <laughs> That's the third time in this show. So, what I want to ask you is, I, I think it's very poignant in the film that Walt strikes up this great relationship with Tao. It's almost redemptive because his relationship with his kids is terrible. Very, yeah. So, you've said this to me before about the greatest generation. You know what I'm I know where you're going, yes. So just elaborate on that for me.
2: Oh, there's, you can't take away from what the greatest generation did, um, the World War II generation. Right. Um, However, one of the biggest problems we see from the greatest generation is the relationship with their children. Um, How do the parents of the 40s raised the children of the sixties. And, um, there was a lot of, we, and again, I'm putting words here, but there's a lot of the idea that, you know, we conquered, um, Nazism, right. We conquered Imperial Japan and they came back and rather than continue in raising their children with the virtues that they had growing up in the great depression, um, they almost took a pass in that regard. They, they gave way to the state, if you will. And in doing that, they created a generation of children who
4: resented their parents. And um, I can't say not entirely not their fault. I mean, they did
2: many of those. <laughs> they, they neglected that responsibility and
0: yeah I mean you could say they they won a war and sort of lost their kids right they won
2: a war lost their kids
1: which in turn caused the next generation right
0: well yeah and I mean Mike you've you've hit on this but you look at the 60s and 70s and the kids that came out of that right it's amazing the disparity between the the parents and then the offspring I, I I think part of it correct me if I'm wrong but I think part of it and I've heard this a lot was it seems wise but I don't think it is they say I I want things to be better for my kids. And when they say that, they mean easier. Right.
2: And making things easier for your kids does not help them. Um, They need to learn responsibility. They need to learn biblical virtues. And sadly, many of the greatest generation did not have those virtues to give. Hmm. And then we wonder why their children turned out the way they did. And obviously I'm speaking in universals and not every. Right. But this is, something that has to be looked at.
4: Yeah, I
0: think that's important. One of the other things I think that is interesting about this film, and this is something that I've talked about on the podcast quite a bit, is the effeminacy of the pastorate. There's a line in the movie where Walt tells the pastor, who's this young man and sort of girly, right? I think is the best way to describe him. He's definitely effeminate. He says something like, religion is for old women and superstitious people, and in the film that's kind of how the priest is portrayed. Walt does very manly things. He gives up his life for Tao and in the, the family. Right. And the priest is very pacifistic. Right. It's and sadly
2: the, one of the things about the movie, it presents an accurate portrayal of much of the modern church. And that I say that to our shame. Right. Because the church has lost what it means to be a man. They've caved the idols of feminism they've caved to um, politically correct views they no longer speak a distinct voice right and walt as problematic as he is speaks very distinctly in this film
0: yeah he's very plain spoken he faces evil right um even though he i think has cancer is what it is right right?
2: he's he's sick i can't i can't remember but
0: i know he's he's dying but he's very manly Yes. He's a protector. I think one of my favorite scenes in that movie is, and of course we can't repeat the language. Nope. But uh, (laughs) Walt basically says, get off my lawn. Right. He's not afraid at all of these, I'm I'm presuming they're Hmong gang members. Yeah, gangbangers. Gangbangers. they thugs. He's got his M1 and he puts his M1 in that guy's face. And, you know, the punk kid, which kind of reminds me of our generation and like Antifa and those people he's not afraid of them. And no. so I, I think as much as Walt failed at points, I think in the film somewhere he realizes that and then he's seeking to correct it, but the world still needs, you know, it, they, they still need that generation. And I, I think it's a good story because maybe you did fail with your kids. Maybe you, you're failing now, but you can turn that around. Right. You can change that. Right. And what he does in this movie, I mean, it's,
2: it's this one guy standing up, against bullies that have really never faced anyone standing up to him before. Right. And they don't know how to react.
0: They don't. Yeah, and he does it with multiple multiple, M- Multiple occasions. So it's a great film. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you guys to check that out. We're going to move along to number eight. Number eight on the list, We Were Soldiers. So this has to be said. I mean, we, we admitted beforehand, we talked about this, and it's going to have to be said that Mel Gibson probably could have his own list. Yes. yes. We intentionally had to say, we, look, every film can't be Mel Gibson. Right. There's something about Mel Gibson that he understands masculinity. Failed, obviously. Yeah, even if he doesn't represent it in his personal life. Right. But as an actor, but somehow he, he, he resonates understands with those it, themes. At least on some level. Right. At one point, the most hated man in Hollywood. Right. He sort of had a, a turnaround. Yes. He's accepted back in Hollywood. But what what is it, Mike, about this film that makes it so good and masculine?
4: Wow. Um, The first time I watched this film, when it was over, I just sat there in silence. It's not
2: Uh, an
0: easy film to watch. No, it's
2: not an easy film to watch. And um, in this film, he takes the role of leadership very seriously with all the, um, I mean... People think of leadership as adulation and praise, but he took the difficulties in that role, um, and his wife as well. Right. Um, so, so
0: he has this line where he says beforehand, he says, I'll be the first one on the battlefield and the right. last one off. And then when he's talking to Barry Pepper, who's the journalist.
3: I'm glad you made it, son.
0: Thank you, sir. You too.
3: I'll never forgive myself. For what, sir. Then my man Then my man died and I didn't.
2: He he bore the weight of leadership. Right. And this something this is a true story. Um and how more? Um and it's just an excellent portrayal. Um, the horrendousness of war and the necessity of it is shown in this film. I mean, there are some scenes in this one that are just gripping.
0: It does not glamorize the Vietnam no. war.
2: No, not at all. A, a fan. And one of the things, and I think we're going to talk about this some more. Um, there's something you see in this film that many of our films on the list have. There's a, there's a, a fellowship of brotherhood between the people who stand side by side in the battle. Right. And you see it grow, and there's animosity, there's the mockery that we've talked about earlier, but there's this this abiding passion that they have for one another that is portrayed in this film just in an excellent way.
0: Yeah, I think particularly in the war movies, um, some of the other movies as well that we talk about, Men were made for brotherhoods. Jordan Peterson would say men are made for gangs. They're made to shed their blood for their communities and they're made to bleed alongside one another. And so, one of the most powerful things that men can have is is a brotherhood. Uh, It's interesting because if you read the Greeks and a lot of the military history of the world, and I'm thinking particularly of The Gates of Fire, this is Stephen Pressfield's book about the 300, the Spartans. Um, In that book, he's very clear. He says, There's the love of women. And then there's a love that is higher, which is the love for a man who bleeds next to his brother. Of course, I think of David and Jonathan. Um, In our era, that's, you know, we want to read homosexuality into that. Right. But there is a... Or even Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, same deal. You you have this height of love between brothers who have bled together.
2: And the Bible even says, greater love hath no man than he laid down his life for his friend.
0: That wasn't about the notebook. No. (laughs) (laughs) is it, it close yeah no no i think that's a great that's a great point and i think specifically for the church um we talk a lot about this why are men not in church and i think one of the answers to that is because church is not presented as cosmic warfare it's not presented as dominion warfare and so because of that it's it's a book club for ladies and the men sometimes attend Well, that's a far cry. Like men will resonate with these films and then they go to church and they say, well, that's not what this is about. Right. This is about like sharing your feelings and sitting in group therapy. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons men resonate with these films, right? Right. Well, because
1: men need goals.
0: Right. If you want to feel directed in your life and you have to work for something. Well, if there's,
1: if you don't have a dominion, you're not trying to conquer the world, you're not, you know, spreading the gospel and you're not, you know taking the world for Christ, then if you don't have those goals, then yeah, you're going to lose the people that are actually
2: purpose driven.
0: Right. That's and, right.
2: And I want to quote Eric, the church militant has been replaced by the church therapeutic.
0: That's right. I think that's very true. And that's a turnoff for a lot of men. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that I've um of course we're referencing uh Leon Potol's book. He talks a lot about this um the church impotent is the book. Well, I'll provide a link in the end of the show description for you guys, but Um, That's really one thing that he talks a lot about is, if you want to attract men to the church, you need to recover the biblical language of warfare. Right. So Paul says, fight the good fight. Uh, Ephesians 6, it's warfare language. We wrestle not against the powers of flesh and blood, but it's this cosmic warfare that we're a part of. I think that's been lost from the church.
1: Or even running the race. And I mean, it's competition Competition, and warfare. warfare. It's
0: warfare. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk, I mean, we're talking about boxing and military. These are all expressions that Paul uses. He says, I don't, I don't box as one beating the air, but I, I box to win first place. Right. Um, so in Paul's mind, there's no participation trophies. Right.
2: We run to win the prize.
0: That's right. Yeah. What a great word. So we were soldiers. 2002 has a ranking of 7.2 on IMDB. Uh, some of the, the characters that we've been talking about, Mel Gibson, of course, Barry Pepper. Okay, Barry Pepper's going to... Spoiler alert, Mike. He's going to show up again. Right. Yeah.
3: Well, uh, so is Mel Gibson. Just. So is
0: Mel Gibson. Uh, Greg Kinnear is in that film. He's not going to show up again. No. Not but surprisingly. In that, but I would
1: say he, uh, if we're talking about virtue, it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he's the the soldier who sacrifices himself to go get the, the other soldier that's wounded up the hill. I believe that's, I that's his right. character. Even though he knows... He's probably not going to make it back from that. Right. But he's going to do it anyway. Right. Because it's the right thing to do. That's right. And that's one of those things is you do, you doing the right thing, even when it's going to cost you is still the right decision. That's right.
0: Uh, We've also got John Hamm, who's in the film, Kerry Russell, and then Chris Klein. You're you're forgetting Sam Elliott. I didn't forget Sam Elliott. (laughs) I saved that one for you, Mike. (laughs) Uh, Sam Elliott seems to portray masculinity pretty well. Yeah. He's got a mustache. It's the voice. Yeah, just listen to him talk. Um, One of the things I love in We Were Soldiers is he's so friendly when the other soldier tries to talk to him. (laughs) Yeah, what's a beautiful day, sir? What are you, some kind of blankety blank weatherman? Right. Yeah. What? 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 A great scene. But masculinity.
4: Any of some bitches calls me grandpa,
3: I'll kill you.
0: So, yeah, just Sam Elliott, how do you beat that? Director on this film was Randall Wallace. Now, here's what's interesting. This film, we'll kind of talk about awards and how these films were received, but awards on this film, zero. Well, of course. Why? Because even before he was
1: hated, Mel Gibson was still not in favor. Right. Because he doesn't pander.
0: Again, this is a film that didn't pander. Um it doesn't sugarcoat vietnam but it also doesn't it glorify also doesn't take the bend of the 70s which was to vilify the soldiers right there was a
2: there was a period of time in the late 70s you don't remember this because i'm old <laughs> but it seemed like every movie that was up for an academy award was a movie that took a pot shot at the vietnam soldiers this movie didn't do that
0: no and
2: um the hollywood crowd that's seems to be one of the things they like to do. Right. This movie didn't do that. Particularly and, with Vietnam. Right, particularly with Vietnam.
0: Yeah, so really, really great film. A lot of masculine virtue. Um, it, again, it's one of the films on this list where you, you watch it and your guts are kind of ripped out. Right. It's not an easy film. And it reminds me, one of the principles of masculinity, I had a friend who said that this to me one time when I was pastoring. I was talking about, you know, this is difficult, difficult work. And he he just said this. He said, heavy lies the crown. And Mel Gibson portrays that so well. Yes. The weight and the burden of leadership is heavy, but men shoulder that responsibility. They stiffen their backs and they embrace it. And we're being attacked by (laughs) (laughs) F-16s.
1: When I was going to mention something that Mike actually brought up today when we were doing um, the Heidelberg Catechism class and something you mentioned before we got this started about Barry Pepper's character. And he says, you know, I'm not going to, not going to pick up a weapon. And Mel Gibson essentially tells him, you know, if you want to live through this, yeah, you're going to. Right. And we were talking about part of the sixth commandment being that not only do you, when, when it says, you know, thou shall not kill or however you want to, you know, thou shall not murder, however you want to translate that. If you look at the biblical context, when you talk about self-defense in his case, because he's there and he's stuck there, he doesn't have a way to leave. Right. And you're actually obligated to defend yourself. You're not allowed to put yourself in a situation unnecessarily where you can't try to keep yourself alive. Right. And so for him to try and be pacifistic about it, he's actually being anti-masculine at that point.
2: Right. right. The line in okay. the movie is, I'm a non-combatant. Right. He says, There, there are, are no non-combatants. non-combatants, yeah. There are no
0: non-combatants right. in this, this and, situation.
2: And, you know, that's a great, that's a great illustration for life. Many people think, well, I'm a noncombatant. I'm, I'm not going to get involved. Sorry, you don't have a choice. And um, sadly, many people choose the low road there.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I think ultimately, you know, you think about some of the stuff that's going on in the church today. Uh, we have revoice, the same-sex attraction. We have critical race theory, you know, Marxist feminism, all these things that are invading the church. And I've had a lot of people say to me, hey, man, I just I just want to keep my head down. I don't want to get involved. But I think one of the virtues we can take away from these movies is, well, first of all, that's a lie. Because you're going to be involved whether you like it or not. Correct. And so the real question is, are you going to fight like a man or are you going to tuck tail and run? And I, I think it's encouraging even with Barry Pepper because he steps up. Right? He steps up to the plate. He fights. And um, I think at the end of his exchange with Mel Gibson, you know, they have this important dialogue with one another. Um, you can see that he's changed. He's a changed man. Right. All right, so moving on to number seven. One of the greatest films of all time. Now, now I want to ask you about this film, Mike. The, the film number seven, Tombstone.
3: Okay, love-
0: so you know somebody who watched this film all the time.
2: Yeah. My grandpa watched this film. Every time I went by to see him, my grandpa spent his last days, um, was not able to get out of bed, but... He watched Tombstone all the time. He loved that movie. Um, definitely a masculine movie. Um, not a lot of... I mean, the romantic storylines in that movie were pretty trashy. Right. Um, <laughs> well, we, this, this then, is something
0: that we, we, we talked about before was... This is sort of a film where you have broken masculinity... Right. ...mixed with um, you know some amazing masculine traits and virtues. So you, you have... Uh, was, uh, Big Nose Kate, right. Is Val Kilmer's... And one of the best lines in that movie, by the way.
4: I'm a good woman to you, Doc. Don't I always take care of you?
3: Yes, it's true. You are a good woman.
4: And again, you may be the antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Or, or even the one that's addicted.
0: Yeah. So this is Kurt Russell. Yeah, White Earp's right. wife, who is—is is it Maddie?
2: I don't remember her name.
0: I'm not sure, but she's an opiate addict. Right. He's fooling around with somebody else. So in in this is not a film for like, hey, this is what your marriage should be like. You should no. probably <laughs> no, avoid Probably not. Like dating, marrying prostitutes who are actively still prostitutes. Right. Um, a lot of bad examples in sure? this one. <laughs> I, I think so. Oh, okay. All right. I, just checking. <laughs> I was just checking on that one, but yeah, I think that's, that's true. And I, I think it's a good picture though, because masculinity is some, some of the times in the real world where we see it and it's powerful and it's strong. and We say, that's something that I could stand behind. You think of, I know a lot of guys in special forces, um, they have fought in some of the most epic battles um, in their personal lives, particularly with their loved ones, their, their spouses, their wives, their girlfriends. It's a train wreck. Right. Um, but that, So, I think it's an encouragement for men as well that obviously we want to encourage guys, right? You need to get those areas squared away too. You need to grow as a husband. But some of the best masculine role models are failed characters. Yes. See that in scripture? Right. (laughs) Right. It doesn't mean you have to vilify that guy, but you can still learn from some of the things that they did. Right. So, this film, Tombstone, was released in 1993. Has a 7.8 rating on IMDb, which again is, is pretty high. Fairly good, yeah. Fairly good for them. Um, for my money, I actually think the best actor in this film is Val Kilmer. Yeah. This is before he got fat. Right. He was fantastic in that Plus film. Sam Elliott again, so... Sam Elliott. <laughs> uh, Bill Paxton is in this film. As you mentioned, Sam Elliott. And of course, Kurt Russell. Right. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. He He's had a great, in this
2: film. had a great part in this film. One of the best
0: scenes. <laughs> Something on your mind?
1: Just want to let you know you're sitting in my chair.
0: Is that a fact? Yeah, that's a fact. Well, for a man that don't go healed, you run your mouth kind of reckless, don't you? No need to go healed to get the bulge on a tub like you. Is that a fact? Hmm. That's a fact. Well, I'm real scared. Damn right you're scared. I can see that in your eyes. All right, man. Go ahead. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. Listen, mister, I, I'm getting awful tired of your I'm getting tired of your gas. Now jerk that pistol and go to work.
4: I said throw down, boy. You going to do something or just stand there and
3: bleed?
0: <laughs> one of the best scenes. This this was actually directed by George P. Cosmato. That's probably Isaiah's favorite director. <laughs> I don't even know who that I is. Have no idea who that is. Great <laughs> film though. And then uh, Kevin Jare, I think is how you pronounce that. Now it's interesting. This film they were actually competing. There was a race with another film to get this one out and to see which one would would get there first. So I think almost simultaneous. Remember the uh, White Earp with Kevin Costner?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, this film clearly outclasses the other one. I think there's no question. Yes, but interestingly enough, another number seven on our list, but the awards it won were zero. <laughs> now this is interesting because I, I talked to a lot of men, and this film, some of the best one liners. Um, in terms of memes that are made and people circulate now on Facebook. Um, one, of, one of my favorites was uh, when Antifa said, we're going to go to rural communities. Right. And there was a meme and it was Doc Holliday and he said, say when. Right. <laughs> I agree. Um, I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> exactly. Uh, him and Kurt Russell, their friendship is very powerful in the film. One of the lines, Mike, I think you say this a lot.
3: Doc. Sort of being dead. What the hell are you doing this for anyway? Wide up with my friend. Hell, I got lots of friends.
4: I don't.
0: I think one of the virtues that I would highlight in this film is plain spokenness. Right. Um, they're very direct, they're, they're masculine, the brothers, especially the Earp brothers and uh, Val Kilmer, who plays Doc Holliday. They do a really phenomenal job of coming to a town. They're trying to live this peaceful life, but then evil rises up um, and they meet it. Yes. They face it. I think one of the best scenes, uh, we've talked about this with Billy Bob Thornton. Um, He's kind of controlling and driving away business from the casino. And Wyatt Earp, this is Kurt Russell, uh, he goes over and he just, he shows him who's boss. Yeah. He doesn't flinch. Right, and the entire
2: town is saved by that one act. Basically, I mean, yeah, there's still problems, but the I mean, by that one act, by standing up to the bully, right? And um, that's one of the great virtues of the movie. They stand up to the bully, and oftentimes we're afraid to respond to tweets, right? And it's <laughs> it's it's one of those things. <laughs> that's, that just That's kills not the you. same thing. It, I I mean, it's it's not it's the I mean, we're silent. I mean, we see things there and
0: we just let it slide. But, Well, I think you see this a lot, actually, with the, the woke stuff that's going on right now. Everybody's afraid to say anything counter-narrative. Um, and one of the things that film and that scene in particular shows you is that a lot of bullies are actually cowards. Right. And if you would just stand up to them, if one man would be courageous and stand up to them and tell them to pound sand, um, it, it would benefit everyone else.
1: Well, even to the plain spokenness part, I mean, or even personal sacrifice here, you have these guys and they stand, what, 15, 20 feet from each other. Like everyone's getting shot. Right. There's no way everyone's not getting shot, at least a little bit. Right. Right. And they just do it anyway. Right. Because it has to be done. Right. But, but we're afraid to say stuff like, you know, Antifa and BLM. That, well,
4: you don't want to destroy
0: your witness, Isaiah. Yeah.
1: Right. But I mean if you were to say something like Antifa is anti-fascist as BLM is about black lives. Right. And then people well, what do you mean? Well, right. They are fascists and they're Nazis essentially. You're looking at like Gestapo level well, Nazis.
0: And I think too you see a lot of the the standing up to bullies, right? So I saw a video a, a black guy, he's a UFC fighter in New Mexico. And he went out and he was screaming at these Antifa guys. And he was like, give me the spray paint can. And this little white kid is like, okay. <laughs> and literally, he's, he's going through the streets. He doesn't hit anybody. But he's like, give me the can. And the guy's like, I don't want any trouble. He's like, give me the can. And the dude just hands over the can. He, he's got an armful of spray paint cans. And so that's the reality. Like our world is run by bullies in many, many instances. And all it takes is one brave man. That's all it takes. Right. Well, and just to see...
1: Like with all the protests and all these things, it's like if you look at the people that are saying, look, are black lives do they matter? Of course they matter. That's it's just ridiculous to even question that. Is the Black Lives Matter movement have anything to do with whether black lives are important? No,
0: and no actually, it actually doesn't. I had a t- I had a tweet today, I was thinking about this more, and it's like well, you think about the Democrats and the Black Lives Matter movement, and it seems like nobody cares less about black lives than actually Black Lives Matter because they're they're pro getting rid of the police that protect these people. They're pro riots, right? Um, they're pro welfare, which enslaves black men to the state. They're pro, pro Planned Parenthood. Yeah, they're pro abortion. So it's like you know, this organization It's actually the organization is very well crafted because when you think about it to disagree with them, it sounds like you have to disagree. Well, so you're saying that black lives don't matter. Right. So again, we have this theme of standing up to bullies, you know, um, in a very obviously masculine virtue.
1: So along those same lines of being like plain spoken and speaking the truth and like what what does it look like to be a hard man in the clergy? I think the best example that I can think of in film is a movie from nineteen thirty nine. It's called wow. Drums Along the Mohawk. It's Black think, and White. I think Mike was five at the time. Right, probably. <laughs> he was probably there. He's gonna get real tired of these jokes. <laughs> but it, it takes place and I I I'm probably gonna get the time period right wrong, but like French and Indian war time. I believe it's like western New York is the setting and I I could be wrong it's been years since I've seen it but at one point you know it, it's Henry Fonda and his wife they're newlyweds they move out to the frontier she's kind of a city girl he's more of a frontiers guy he takes them out there they're they're building their own house they're starting a farm and the the Indians are coming to attack whatever the local fort is and the pastor is also the head of the local militia and he preaches this sermon and he has a prayer at the end of the sermon. And what he says is he prays for, you know, protection and guidance or whatever for the, for the battle to come. And he says, and the militia will assemble promptly at 10 AM or they will be promptly hanged. Amen. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) where where, is
0: that? Yeah. There's not a, um, I think in modern evangelicalism, particularly there's not at all a warring spirit, but we've talked about this before, right? You had right. guys in the founding of our country you know, revolutionary war time period, um, and the pastors were the, A, I've read this from feminists, so it's probably true, <laughs> it, believe a feminist, believe women, um... But they say that the, the pastors in the country at that time, were the, they were more feared than politicians?
2: They were, they were more feared than standing armies. They were the, known as the Black Regiment. That's right. The British considered the pastors, the clergy in the colonial period, were known as the Black Regiment. And there was a price on many of their heads because the pastors um, supplied the, the energy and the motivation for why they were fighting. Right. I
1: feel like this may come
0: up again. It, it might. It yeah. definitely will. It probably will. So we move along. That was number seven. We were Tombstone. Number six, it's going to come along right now. Number six, The Patriot. Oh, look, there we are. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> good segue. Do you see how we segued that? Yeah, that was, that was good. That was genius. I <laughs> think we planned it even. Yeah. So The Patriot came out in 2000, 7.2 on IMDb. Of course, starring Mel Gibson, Heath Ledger, rest in peace. Jason Isaacs, who is the piece of crap that we all come to hate in the film. Right. Sorry, Jason Isaacs. Chris Cooper, he's in the film. And uh, he's, you know, he plays a small role. Tom Wilkinson is, uh, what's his face with the Great Danes? <laughs> yeah, What's his face with the Great Danes? They're well, redcoats. they earned it. That's right. Uh, What was the... He was the general. What was his name? Cornwallis. 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 Uh, Directed by Roland Emmerich, not Mel Gibson.
4: Again, awards. None. Zero awards. But it's a great film. For arguably one of the best films ever made.
0: It's very good. Now, we talked about this. I think it might have been Mike that said this. Uh, There are definitely some cheesy points. Yes. 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 there's, there's some modern historical, you know, Mel Gibson loves to get his freedom lines in, you know, mo- modern American freedom concepts are, are kind of put back into the film. But I think one of the things that I love about this film in particular is, again, it's about warfare, but it really captures his struggle, Mel Gibson's struggle, Benjamin Martin is the character, of how the war impacted families. So this wasn't a war that was fought in Afghanistan where you could send your sons away and then not think about it. This was a war on American soil. There is some historical context. Benjamin Martin, Mike, is supposed to be who? Francis Marion. It's loosely based, very loosely based. Yeah, Swamp Foxes. Right, Swamp Fox. Um, So you got that that loose context, but the overall context is, you know. Right. And
2: uh, I love the struggle in this movie because he starts off, doesn't want to fight, because he's got a past and that's an important part of the movie the fact that he has a past and that's going to come into play
1: and he, he doesn't want to fight because he's done it before he knows what it's going to cost him right?
0: right and unlike the young men in the film including his sons he, he knows the cost of war which is high right so in the film he loses two sons yes I think as a young man I, I first saw this film in, in 2000 uh, Michael appreciate this but I was still in high school I <laughs> <laughs> um, I was not <laughs> <laughs> Let the reader understand <laughs> Mike was not in high school at that time. But now as a father of sons, that film hits me way deeper. Yes. Um because a um, lot of issues. Yeah, a lot of issues. Um because now as a father, I look at those young men and Heath Ledger and then the, the brother uh who is an actor whose name no one basically knows. Poor guy. <laughs> but when you, when you talk about that, like as a young man, you're like gung-ho, you want to go to war. War is this noble thing. Um, but Mel Gibson's character, Benjamin Martin, he understands the cost of war. Yes. Um, and then he watches both of his sons be killed. Right. Um, it's a steep price. Um, but it did make me appreciate, um, you know, obviously the storyline of the film is going to deviate from actual historical record. Right. But the concept of what some of the men of our early founders paid the price for um, is high. And that was real.
2: And the most controversial scene of this movie when it came out, and I loved it, was the scene where he's got his young boys. I think they were both under 10. Oh, yeah. And he's loading guns and handing to them and they're shooting British soldiers and they're repeating aim small miss small aim small miss small daddy taught him well daddy taught him well yeah and they're out there they're they're sniping off these british soldiers and what a powerful scene and it outraged people oh yeah well yeah. that's why that's oh. why it didn't get any awards yeah, that, probably that, that this movie alone. caused a huge outrage do because, you think it was because the children in warfare thing yeah children in warfare is just driving people nuts remember looney tunes is now removing guns from their cartoons oh my gosh But it's okay. They're carrying SIDS now. Oh, my
0: gosh. You got to be kidding. Well, I think it brings up a good point because in our particular context, um, we're defunding the police, um, particularly in in, in places where I think now in our context, you need police because we're a very lawless, godless people. Right. So the police are doing a necessary work. But I've had this thought a lot as a father. I just recently rewatched that film the patriot and i said to myself i watched that scene and i was like wow i need to get to the range and really work on marksmanship with my sons because we are quite literally in a day where you may actually have to do that yeah you may actually have to defend your family um and what i've seen across the country is a renewed interest i've even had liberal friends contact me and say which handgun should i buy which the obvious answer there is a Glock 19, <laughs> right? I'm sorry, 1911 fans, but we actually want the thing not to fail in combat. There's that so, capacity issue too. <laughs> capacity issues, right? I don't have I don't have money for a $3,000 1911 that's super fancy and is going to fail after 100 rounds. I'm kidding, but the point is sort of, sort of <laughs> firearms and shooting and training your sons for that. That's that's a real thing now.
1: Yes. Well and and I saw an interesting statistic today. It said something like 800,000 new American gun owners in the last 5 months. Or in a or maybe it was it was 2 million and it's 800,000 female new female gun owners. And it's like right. right. Which is fantastic. I there's no I mean like there's no reason why it shouldn't be more than that. It should be way more than that,
0: right? I think people are waking up to the to the reality that you know, again, the film is in an era when uh, the Second Amendment, which, you know, obviously wasn't in place at the time, but you can understand the context why the Second Amendment was um, such a vital thing. And again, we're, we're finding that now that it is super vital. Some of the other things that I want to talk about with this film, um, one of them, uh, probably the, the most tearjerker moment for me, I know for Mike it probably is as well, but there's this little girl she doesn't speak. Do you remember her name in the film? No, I don't remember her name in the film. I don't either. But like the whole film, Mel Gibson is like, do you want to say something? Trying to get his daughter to talk to him. Right. And she doesn't speak. And then there's, you know, she says something kind of hateful. Right. And then Heath Ledger says, well, she talked. Right. And Mel Gibson said, you know, what did she say? Well, she said she loved you, which is not true. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But then (laughs) towards the end of the movie, there's this scene where she doesn't say anything. And then he rides off.
2: And she and says, she, Papa, don't go. Papa, don't go. <laughs> Why is that so powerful? Because Papa had to go and Papa didn't want to go at that point. And that scene, I can't. That's, that's the scene in that movie. I can't. I, I still cry every time I see that scene. And um, because it just, it just gets you. But right. it, it was something he had to do. And um,
4: it, it's just a powerful scene.
0: Yeah, and I I think it gets to one of the masculine virtues that, um, you know, women will shed blood through childbirth. Women are the ones who are sacrificing in that way, but men are sacrificing by shedding their blood for their communities to keep them going, uh, to protect them from tyranny and evil and things like this. But there's this very real cost. I mean, I've had similar moments like leaving, uh, to go on business trips, to go into the wilderness when I'm gone for two weeks at a time. And you got a little kid that says to you, you know, the, the equivalent of Papa, yeah, don't go. You have to go. And you're like, wow, that, that hits you. Right. As a man. And, and I also think it gets to this as men, that the toughest men, the people that I respect the most, they always seem to have a soft spot for the right people in the right time. Yeah. So we talk about hard men on this show. That doesn't mean being an asshole. No, of course not. It means like you have tender spots particularly for kids women kids and that movie came out
1: when I was not a father just put it that way I I was Mike was (laughs) a
0: grandfather at that point when was it
1: 2000 2000. Nope. no not yet no okay so but even for me watching
4: that as a teenager that scene in particular um or the, ch- the church scene. It's just oh, the church
1: burning down his... I mean, you have this... Heath Ledger's wife. Particularly, I mean, in my opinion, well done, you know, romance in this movie, which is like the only... Well, not the only one. I mean, there's the sister-in-law too, but... That's kind of weird. No.
0: <laughs> after his wife dies, don't make it weird. <laughs> but anyway, Mel Gibson, probably not Presbyterian, he's Catholic, but... Yeah, he's very Catholic. I don't know what he was in the film. He didn't really have a lot
2: to do with the church. His son did somewhat. He didn't. Right. I mean, if you look, you don't see Mel Gibson participating in the church much. The pastor, by the way, in that movie... Went to war. ...ends up taking up arms, which is, I think, another fantastic
0: scene. And dying. Right. The final battle, I think. No, it's the same
1: time that Heath Ledger dies, when they go after the Dragoons. That's right. He throws the gun to Heath Ledger. Fairly epic scene on its own. And but, this is yeah. where our
2: hero, Jason Isaacs,
1: gets us all to hate him a little bit now, more. I mean, admittedly, Jason Isaacs did a fantastic job being a very hateable character. Oh, he He's, was just terrible.
4: I mean, he was basically like the leader of Black Lives Matter at that point. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> kind sure. of acted like Malfoy. Yeah.
3: It's like Malfoy.
1: I mean, he's essentially Benedict Arnold character in the film. Him and, well, and his little he's, Colonel buddy, that, he's Adam, loosely, Baldwin. He's loosely, Adam
2: Baldwin. Adam yeah. Baldwin, yeah. He is loosely based on a historical figure that was not nearly as bad as he was in the
4: movie, but he's loosely based on a, a British soldier as well. Right. And, and evil. And I think certainly we meet men in our paths that are like that,
0: who are just brutal. Right. Um, actually, you know, it's interesting. I, before his conversion, I think the Apostle Paul was very much that type of... Yeah,
1: burn it all down and...
0: Exactly. Yeah, no um, holds barred. The, the, the means justify Or the end justifies the means. Right.
1: I will say that the Patriot has produced some amazing memes. Such as? Such as the one for the... I, don't, I think it was in California where the guy went and set up like essentially a dummy on the beach with a fishing pole. Yeah, oh, and so great. the first panel is like two or three cops there on the beach with the dummy with the fishing pole, and then the second panel is when the British officer brings in the dummy with the British uniform. Honey, <laughs> I've captured some of the <laughs> rebel colonials or whatever. <laughs> and then this one, which I actually have a copy of, which is Mel Gibson at, with the with the boys in the woods shooting, and it's him running and he's got you know five or six guns on, and it says. When you see the United States trying to become England again.
4: Yeah.
1: And it's like, when, Very fitting. like, and I think that came out about the time when Americans were criticizing Great Britain
2: for not wanting to be part of the European Union. By the way, Patriot has fantastic use of a tomahawk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't think yeah, that of
1: that. <laughs> I mean, but there you see that that's his, like, his past catching up with him and so much rage and anger. He has to wrestle with it that he holds in, and then it's just at some point it becomes too much, and he lets it go.
0: Right, and there's there's parables there about fatherhood. Um, in order to be good fathers, we have to wrestle with our past, overcome our demons, some of the shame, right, um, etc. And at the end of the day, you got to butcher some English people too. <laughs> redcoats, just call them redcoats. Redcoats,
1: because redcoats are not necessarily British. We have them here too. Well, yeah, we still do. No, that's why Chicken Run
0: almost made the list. Oh, good Lord.
4: <laughs> well,
3: it, it is interesting.
0: It is interesting because uh, Mel Gibson was also in Pocahontas. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's, he's in there somewhere. I think he's um, John Smith. I, I think he is John Smith. What a trash film. Okay. <laughs> that film did not make our list. Do you think he'll
1: be in the live action adaptation? Oh, good heavens. <laughs>
0: He's probably old enough to be John Smith in real life now. They just need... Yeah. Ouch. He's my brother. He's my bro. (laughs) He's my bro. Number five. (laughs) Moving on to number five on our list. This one is interesting because it actually represents two films. Number five. Number five slot is two films. It is True Grit. So True Grit came out in 1969. Um, That, of course, is the John Wayne edition. You had Glenn Campbell. Um, You had Kim Darby, who played Maddie Ross. She was quite annoying in that film.
1: The worst part of that whole movie is her.
0: Yeah, I think the (laughs) new movie is an upgrade. The new movie came out in 2010. Now, if you go by IMBD rankings, the old film was 7.4, the new one is 7.6. I think they're both good. They're both really good films. Robert Duvall, uh, of course, was Lucky Ned Pepper. And then in the new film, You had Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, he did a phenomenal job. Not
1: to say John Wayne didn't. We had to have a John Wayne movie, though, on this list.
0: Oh, absolutely. And he probably could have had more. Probably. Probably more. Uh, So Jeff Bridges, of course, plays Rooster Cogburn. You have Matt Damon, far better acting job, obviously, than Glenn (laughs) Glenn Campbell. Campbell. (laughs) Uh, What Matt Damon did not do that Glenn Campbell did is win an award for the song that was performed. Um, so Glenn Campbell, he wins on singing, yeah. but I think Matt Damon clearly wins on acting. Uh, Josh Brolin, um, is in the, in the new film. He did a good job. He's not in it much, but he did a good job. And then, and then our guy, Barry Pepper.
4: (laughs) So Barry Pepper actually plays
0: Lucky Ned Pepper. Uh, Barry Pepper is the toothless wonder in this film but he's a genius I mean he's a great actor right he does a phenomenal job and then Under, think,
1: underrated for sure I would say
0: underrated yeah. and then I think Haley Haley Steinfeld right so now she's a pop singer so that kind of taints it a little she did a great job at a that, though.
2: she was nominated for an Oscar she lost she should have won she did a fantastic job
0: um, in case you guys are wondering she was also in another film about some singing ladies pitch perfect <laughs> two and three Oh my lord, Mike knows what the film. That's actually more disturbing. I thought it was going to throw you for a loop, but <laughs> yes, she is in Pitch Perfect. Uh, this film is much better. The original was directed by Henry Hathaway, and the new version was Joel and Ethan Cohen. Wow. Now, in terms of awards, how did the original and the later do? Well... The original 1969 film, Golden Globe, and Oscar. John Wayne won Best Actor. And then Glenn Campbell, Best Song nomination. So he's got that as well. It's interesting because it had 10 nominations. Not a lot of wins, but it had a lot of nominations. The new film, nothing. Um, one of my favorite lines in the very beginning is the narrator, which is supposedly a grown Maddie Ross. This is a new film. And she says, nothing in life comes free except the grace of God. So there's, there's a lot of biblical themes that actually run through this film. right? Um, it's, it's, it's a really, for, for those of you who either haven't seen it or need a refresher, the film is great in the sense of seeking justice. Of course, Maddie Ross, her father was killed by Josh Brolin's character.
4: Uh, what was his name in the film? Do you guys remember? I don't. I can look it up. It's gonna to come to me. But anyway, so she hires
0: Rooster Cogburn for basically a fee to go and
4: track him down. Rooster Cogburn himself is a flawed character. So Tom Cheney. Tom Cheney. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. So what is it about Rooster Cogburn that is masculine,
0: flawed, but but still masculine?
1: <laughs> well, he's a drunk.
0: I fail to see how this is a problem. <laughs> he's an kidding. alcoholic.
3: Oh! oh, I get it.
0: Uh,
1: it's not that he's been drunk.
0: Yeah, yeah so he, he definitely, definitely, and in the film, he wrestles with that right, as well. He's got a problem. He has his moment where he, he fails. Um, there's a lot of humor in the film. Mm-hmm. You have, uh, particularly the newer film, Matt, Matt Damon does a great job with Labeef, um, who's sort of, he has his moments. You know, he makes that long shot with the sharps rifle. Um, he, he makes some pretty funny comments about the sun being in your eyes. Or did I say your eye? <laughs> but, but, but I think the masculine figure in the film is obviously either John Wayne or Jeff Bridges. Right. Probably one of the most prominent scenes in my mind is the fact that, I can't remember if it's Labeef. But somebody says, no man would ride at six men with two pistols. But what does he do in the final scene?
2: He rides at six men with two pistols.
0: That's right. I thought you were talking about, I'm like, well, yeah, Rooster Cogburn does that. <laughs> yeah, Rooster Cogburn. I mean, right, it, it, t- for my money, that's one of the most manly scenes because he's, you know, the odds are against him. We have this great scene.
3: Farrell, I want you and your brother to stand clear. doing well, Doctor have no interest in you today.
2: What is your intention, Rooster? You think one on four is a dog
0: fall?
3: <laughs> I mean to
0: kill you in one minute, Ned.
3: Or see a hang before Fort Smith
4: at Judge Parker's convenience. Which will you have? I call that bold talk for a one-eyed fat man.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Fill your hand, you son of a...
0: Um, there's something to be said about masculine virtue and facing insurmountable odds. There is a sense in which I, I, I watched that film and I thought, man, I, I wish in some sense we still had that masculine virtue where you didn't have to worry about being politically correct. Look, some of these guys are thugs. And in the old Westerns, and the you know, Dirty Harry is this way too, some men need to be put six feet under. Right. So you're not saying he should have shot him in the knee? No, definitely in the head. Okay, all right.
2: Some men need killing.
0: Yeah, that's right. Right. Well, and it's interesting too, because Maddie Ross, you know, she has this choice to pick a few different marshals. She goes to the hearing, and then uh, he says, Rooster Cogburn says all that, and she's like, I found my man. <laughs> right, because, listen, when you want justice, do you do you want a soft guy?
2: No. No you're not gonna get justice if you get a soft guy.
1: Especially if you know you're going up against hard odds.
0: Lucky Ned Pepper. And he was a sniper in saving private Ryan. This guy can shoot. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a And he's lucky Ned.
2: I I don't know if I'm stepping outside of the rules, but there's another movie, and Isaiah was talking about it the other day. You were talking about riding it six men with two pistols, and I think Isaiah was talking about I think it was Man in the Iron Mask, the scene at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's there's one a of my scene favorite the of scenes the movie in any film. Where they, they ride forth, and the enemy, as they're riding forth at him, looks at him and says, Magnificent Valor. Before they... It, it, did I get it right? Well,
1: so they're breaking the prince out of jail. And right. the movie is not necessarily a great film.
2: It's a great I mean, it's scene, I it's well
1: though. done. But there's a very good contrast, actually, in that film between the king, who's trash... And treats, you know, the princess or the the female character terribly. And then you have D'Artagnan and the musketeers. Right, right. And it's D'Artagnan and I think at least it could be all three of the musk. I think it's all three of the musketeers. And they've broken the prince out of prison. So it's the right. five of them. And they're charging. They're, they come around the corner and there's like a, I don't know, 15 or 20 guys with muskets at the end of this hallway, including the, the sergeant or whoever, who's one of D'Artagnan's personal friends and like the person that he's mentored. Yeah. And, and they say, well, we're going to just have to go ahead and do this. And they draw swords and charge, including the prince, who's still wearing the iron mask. And they charge this group, and you can just see it on the captain's face. is just very well done. And he orders them to fire, or they, they all fire. And, you, and in, this, in the movie, everyone looks away.
4: They shoot, and they all look away. And the, the line is, yeah, magnificent valor. And you don't giving up when you still have a chance is not the right choice. Right. Yeah. And
0: I, I think for a lot of Christians in the culture today, it can feel like we're outnumbered. It can feel like we're outgunned. But man, when I watch Rooster Cogburn with his two six shooters riding in, the man is going to stand for principle. Right. He's, right. he's got his faults. Um, and I think one of the great parts of that movie Right, so he faces off with Lucky Ned Pepper, who turned out actually was not so lucky that day. (laughs) He died. Um, But I think one of my favorite parts of that that movie, one of my favorite scenes, is he's got Maddie Ross. She got bit by the rattlesnake in the hole, and he rides like multiple days through the night. The horse dies. And he carries her into town, right? She loses her arm, but he saves her life. So for all his failures, you know, everything he did wrong, the alcoholism, all that, at some point his masculinity kicked in and he, he defended this girl. And I mean, he pushed himself, he pushed the horse to, to his own brink to save them. And I think within each man, we need those moments where you're called to rise to the occasion. Right. You need those moments where, you know, you're kind of up against it. And and we all face them to a certain extent. Maybe you're James Braddock and you need to provide for your family. Maybe you're Rooster Cogburn and you
4: realize I have to do something for this girl. But that's what men are for. Right? They give all at some moment. So powerful, powerful film. All right. Number four. You guys ready for number four? Number four, my personal this might be number one on my list. You guys ready for this? Number four, Man on Fire. So there 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 are two films, this is one on my list, where every single time I just am reduced to tears. Yeah, you have to be pretty hard hearted not to yeah. tear up at that.
0: You do. And it's interesting. Okay, so this film released two thousand four, seven point seven rating. I am B.D. Denzel Washington. Hard to beat that. Yeah. You got Christopher Walken, who's phenomenal in that film. Dakota Fanning. And, and maybe one of the, arguably the, the greatest, most underrated actors of all time, Mark Anthony. That's a joke. <laughs> I was like... <laughs>
4: Good. I was thinking, wow. Well, some things to
0: question here. Uh, Mark Anthony was married to J.Lo, so... We'll try not to hold that against him. He's not great in the film. But actually, he plays a really good sniveling. It, it turns out in the film that he sold his own family out for a ransom money. right? So he actually set up his own family and his own daughter to be kidnapped so that he could collect the insurance and the ransom money. So one of the prominent themes of the film, again, directed by Tony Scott, uh, one of the prominent themes is that Denzel is a broken man himself. He's lived life as an assassin. Uh, He deals with alcohol. There's a prominent scene in the movie where he actually tries to kill himself. Right. And the bullet misfires. And so he keeps that bullet near him. He really becomes Dakota Fanning, the girl. He becomes her father. Father figure. And so even when Mark Anthony betrays them, he ends up killing himself too, which is an act of cowardice. Right. And so this little girl has got nothing left except for Denzel. Well, and her right? mom, but yeah. Well, and the mom, but, but but it's really Denzel. So he's going up against Mexican drug lords who are not the friendliest people. No. <laughs> but there, there is a sense of justice with him, too, where he deals with them very brutally, right? Uh, you remember the scene with the police detective who is corrupt. He plants the bomb in his anus. <laughs> And then he's begging for mercy and, he, and Denzel tells him, he goes, look, man, I got all the time in the world. I mean, unfortunately you don't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the clock is ticking. And so the guy tells him the information. And he's like, well, you're going to set me free? And he goes, no, you're going to die, man. Right. Like, so there's this sense, I, I would go back to a film and, and really actually the book, uh, Edmund Dante's Count of Monte Cristo. there's a longing in the human heart and the masculine heart for justice. Right. Right. And so you get that in Man on Fire. The, the dominant scene is at the end. Um, his name's Creasy. And this is what kills me every time, right?
4: Oh, hey. I got something for you.
3: I got the last number, too. That would be crazy.
0: you love me, do I I'm go. Go so I'm curious, you guys
4: take what what's great about this film? Why is it number four? I haven't seen it in a while. Um, it's one of the mo- those movies that I have to be ready to watch it as I've watched it once before,
2: and I remember it's one of those ones that it's it's not an easy watch. It's not, and
4: um, but again, the self-sacrifice, giving of yourself for the cause, um, high on the list. Even like maybe not as important, but
1: like the he takes his job even when he doesn't know her, when she's not like a replacement for his future. The importance that he takes in how well he does his job, just as has his vocation right he's very serious about it which we haven't really touched on but is very important as a if you want to look at a masculine figure is not only your vocation and doing it but doing it well right and being that example as far as that goes I mean he, he, he doesn't know this girl at the beginning of the movie right but he still treats her like he's guarding the president or whatever
0: right and then they, they build a relationship later I think one of my favorite scenes, right, is she says, Creasy, do you have a girlfriend? And he goes, yeah, her name's Nunya. <laughs> your girlfriend's name is Nunya? Yeah, Nunya Business. <laughs> so he's cold in the beginning. That, that creates conflict. Obviously, the relationship warms. But his sense of doing his job well, as you said, that never wavers.
1: And, he, and again, you have this never, you don't hesitate. If you have a choice you have to make, do the right thing, do the easy thing. Right. Rarely is the right thing the easy thing. Sometimes. Usually, though, your choice is the right thing or the easy thing. And you choose the right thing, because that's what you do if you're a man. You choose the right thing. You don't take the easy way out.
0: And he does that. Right.
1: Well, yeah, he he goes after the cartel. He's already been shot during the kidnapping. Right? That's right. And then he goes anyway. I mean, he could have said, oh, well, I've already been wounded. You're going to have to find somebody else to do this.
0: Right. And, and this is huge in the film, too. and it, You see it actually a lot in Denzel's films. It is a huge redemption story. Right. Because there's this broken man. He's an alcoholic. He's dealing with all these issues. But this girl gives him life. And so he kind of comes back from being sort of a zombie. You remember the scene they have the party and she gives him the little creasy bear? <laughs> And, man, I, I think this gets to the point, too. Uh, we talked about it in our own personal stories, but little girls that just get your heart. Right. I mean, that is... Uh...
4: Well, even, like, to take it even further, <clears throat> the whole women and children first, which is, like, n-
1: famous on the Titanic, right? But have you ever read... There's a book, and I think it's a, it might be Doug Wilson book. George Grant, one of those guys. And it's called the HMS Birkenhead, or the Birkenhead Drill. And that's where this started. Right. The, it was a troop transport, and the troops had their families, and the ship is going down off the coast of Africa, and it's shark-infested waters, and there's not enough lifeboats for everybody. I mean, you see it in the Titanic, and that's where it's famous, because they, they had similar circumstances. But these guys stood at attention, British soldiers, stood at attention on the deck as the ship sank, and watched each other get eaten by sharks and not a single one of the women or children
3: s- had to stay
4: right now there there's there's something there's a soft spot with true men for women and in particular little girls yeah um, it's very real
0: yeah well, I, I think it's important we talk about, and I talk a lot about this on the podcast, but being a hard man. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't have those tender spots. Nope. And in fact, some of the best men, some of the hardest men that I know,
4: that's a godly thing to cultivate. A sense of protection, care. And yeah, I mean, that, that film captures it perfectly. He's a brutal guy. And with certain people, you got to be brutal. Right. But then you've got spots, right? Oh, yeah.
0: You have to.
1: Well, And and it's, it's not just like he changes and he becomes soft at the end of it. No, he's still a hard man. He just has found the rest of himself that you said earlier, you know, the goal of this is not to, you know, you're not supposed to be an asshole. You still have to have compassion. And like these characters all, for the most part... You can see, I mean, we've talked about the, you know, like the strong virtues, but they also a lot of these films, whether it's the brotherhood that they feel for each other, or, you know, like in the war films, or, you know, the in the true grid or in this one where it's the where it's, you know, the man sacrificing for the women and children. Or you could just even say those that are weaker or those that need their protection. Like they don't turn down that when that when that problem presents itself, this person needs my protection. The choice has to be yes.
4: Yeah. Will, will you step up?
0: That's right. Yeah, and I think that's, that's one of the best parts of the film is just that masculine virtue of knowing the context. Like, you know who the enemy is, and you know who needs to be protected.
4: And we certainly get that with Man on Fire. Yeah. All righty, so number three... On our list,
0: we're getting down to this. Is the uh, this is the money rounds, and we're kind of cheating again.
1: Are we? I mean, True Grit was two movies.
0: Yeah, that's true, but it was two great movies. So number three, Band of Brothers. This is this is interesting because this is actually not technically a technically movie, a movie, but it's a miniseries, HBO miniseries released in two thousand one. This one is a nine point. Four on IMDb. That's pretty high for them.
1: That, if you get over 9, you're looking at it, it's the top ever. It.
0: it is. So, starring who is in this film, we got Damian Lewis. He's amazing. We got Ron Livingston. We've got David Schwimmer, who everyone hates. He's a jerk in that film. Right when they have to run the hill after he feeds them spaghetti. Man, I wanted to punch him in the face. But what I love is like Damian Lewis, right? Even though they make him run
4: and he says, well, you don't have to run. And Damian says, no, I'll run with my men. Donnie Wahlberg. Hill McDonough. You got Tom Hardy. You got Colin Hanks actually made an
0: appearance. This one actually surprised me. I didn't, I didn't actually know this until I was looking at the cast. Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon was in that film. And Simon Pegg.
1: Michael Cutlitz.
0: isn't that interesting
1: which I did not realize he was in there either but of course maybe I'm a fan more a fan of him now than I was when this came out
0: right so you've got a film directed by Tom Hanks produced by Steven Spielberg and then based on the book by Steven Ambrose so real story um, I think th- there's a, a lot of prominent points in, in this miniseries but I think one of the most dramatic is right when they're being dropped Um, The filmography for the time period, 2001, again, was fantastic. This is really, Saving Private Ryan is in the same film, a lot of the same people involved, obviously Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg, but very realistic. Um, Not one of the films where they're trying to glorify war by any stretch. It's brutal. It's bloody. I think one of my favorite parts about the miniseries is how they interview the actual soldiers in the beginning. Uh, Grown men brought to tears by events that happened 60 years prior uh, that they're describing. Um, And really, I think the film was done as a tribute, much like Saving Private Ryan, uh, to the men who fought um, of the greatest generation um, and did a lot of really wonderful things. So this one did win awards, um, and rightly so. Obviously, it's not going to win Oscars because it's not a movie. But it's got many Emmy and Golden Globes. It was nominated and, and won for Best Miniseries, rightly so. Uh, what is the basic gist of this miniseries, synopsis?
1: So
4: you follow Easy Company, um, and you're going to follow them basically from the beginning of when they hit the shore and all the way through into Germany. So you're going to follow the
1: same group of soldiers. And, so they're paratroopers. Right. They, Yeah, they they parachute in on D-Day. The day, drop goes right? well? No, the drop does not go well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, they're dropped and they... Right. I mean, it's and a catastrophe all, from the they're beginning. They're all split
1: up and separated. And, and so you're going to follow them over what is essentially months of time.
0: Now, was this... Um, is this D Day? They're dropped I believe it's D Day. It's D Day. Yeah. Okay, so they're but they're dropped behind enemy lines yep. on D Day.
2: Which is that's what happened. Right. The parachuters were dropped behind enemy lines. And
0: just the hundred first
2: airborne, so to avoid mockery. I have not seen this film. <laughs> How's that gonna avoid mockery? Were, were you a part of
0: Easy <laughs> Company, Mike? No. <laughs> but I did I did read the book. Stephen Ambrose. Yes. Do you have any take uh, book versus miniseries? I
2: haven't seen the miniseries, so I Oh, don't. my gosh. Um, Ensue I... mockery.
3: <laughs> that... <laughs> well,
2: we're
0: going to watch it. We, we will. But, I, I, but you I, like the book.
2: Yes. Stephen Ambrose is fantastic. Right. And I've read several of his books. But, and it was a conscious decision not to watch the miniseries until I'd read the book. Okay. And I read the book a few years ago and still haven't seen
0: the series. So the term band of brothers, where does it come from? Do we, do you guys know? I, I actually don't. Shakespeare. Okay.
1: Right. We few, we marry few, we band of brothers. I think yes, that's not that's it. Yes,
0: that's right. Um, And I think what the, the miniseries captures, again, is this theme that we've been talking about that men need a band of brothers. Uh, they need a gang of men to fight alongside. It's interesting in the miniseries because... They sort of go from bad to worse, right? So they, they win, win if you, if you can say that. They, they're successful in their early missions, um, but it just earns them more difficult missions. Um, and you see a lot of the cost of uh, war. On the only
1: easy day was yesterday.
0: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so there's a lot of heartache. A lot of the good men that you fall in love with in the film end up dying. Um, but really, you know, I think particularly Damian Lewis, Um, in his character um, he's sort of a paragon of moral virtue right he's a good leader you remember the scene with uh, David Schwimmer where um, he's trying to get him to admit something he didn't do or whatever and then he says well or you can accept the court-martial and Damian Lewis says well where do I sign for the court-martial I'll take that (laughs) and of course David Schwimmer backs off he's you know basically a piece of crap in the film through and through it's also interesting to me I, I and I, I want to talk about this. David Schwimmer, he's a hard ass when it comes to basic training and boot camp and all those things. Complete coward in warfare.
1: Right. Well, his, his what's it, the NCOs or whatever from the unit all resign unless right. he gets They basically They basically are willing to face a court-martial rather than be led into battle by someone that's going to get them killed with bad decisions and cowardice.
0: Right. What it reminded me of was... There were a lot of men that I maybe I shared time in seminary with or men that I had kind of known as friends. Maybe they're guys that you could drink with, you could have a smoke with, it was a good time. That's not necessarily the guy you want to fight with, right? So I always think of the pastorate in this way. There are guys where it's like they know their theology, they're really sound. But a ma- this is a principle of masculine virtue. You really don't know a guy until the battle starts. Right. So, I mean, can you guys resonate with this? Have you seen this in your own life? Examples?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um... Certain men have great theology and no courage. And... Um, or they, can, they really can explain to you what you should be doing.
1: But they cannot demonstrate it in their own life.
0: It's, it's also interesting to me because uh, we talk about the manosphere on this show. Uh, we talk about manliness. There's a lot of guys that in books, on Twitter, and their YouTube videos, they posture very well as alpha men. And then you get in a fight and they're betas. Right, they're they're kind of spineless guys. So I'm curious from from either one of your takes, how do you differentiate with men? Like, how do you know and how do you evaluate men so that you can be fighting along guys who are you can trust in, in the battle? I think if it, it's when the hard issues happen, if you if you
1: know it's that whole not backing down from when you know something is right. So if there is a battle to be fought, and there's the ones that will fight it, and the ones that won't, then you want to be—at least I want to be—with those people who are willing to be like, "Yes, this is right. This is wrong. We will do this, and we'll do it together. Or I'll do it alone if I have to do it, but we're going to do this."
0: Yeah, I think you see this all the time on Elder Boards. Um, As I've grown and had more experiences with the Church. I've often thought I understand more Paul's requirement for the diaconate and the eldership that a man must yeah. be tested. Yeah. Right. So, so Mike, I'm curious. As a pastor, ha- have you seen this where guys like they seem good on paper, and then you go through a test and you go, hmm, "I'm not necessarily sure I would entrust my life to that guy."
2: Well, the obvious answer to that is yes. the The one
4: area I would, I've seen people fail. By not rising to the battle. And then when they're approached about it, they learn and they rise to the battle. Right.
2: Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, if I, if, yeah, it, but it's the refusal to learn from failure that is the thing that I think drives me the craziest. You know, hey, we've been here before. Did you not learn anything last time? right, um,
4: and that's because you know, yeah we're we're fallen men we're gonna we're gonna fail
2: occasionally, but are you willing to stand up and fight when needed? And um you know, there's I can think of movies where this happens where someone shirks, doesn't do what he's supposed to do. But later in the movie, he redeems himself. Right. And I see that with people all the time, too. Um, there's a... Oftentimes, we don't know what to do. And so we go into inactivity, and people look at us like, oh, he's a coward. But then when the test comes again, they're ready for it. And if I have a fault, it's I tend to trust people a little too much. I think, well, they'll come through this next time. Sometimes they just don't. Right. and um. So, maybe I trust people too much, but it's one of those things where, you know, if, if three times the battle call is sounded and they don't rise up, they're probably not going to rise up for the fourth one.
0: Right. It, and I think on the flip side of that, I've often been wrong about men. So, this is a film that's not on here, but Hacksaw Ridge yeah, uh, could easily make the top 10. Isaiah's making a face at me. Like, it, it should be on here. But one of the things that struck me about that film was in the beginning, I thought this guy is a wuss. Right. Because he's a pacifist to an extent. He doesn't want to pick up arms. Right. But by the end of the film and and the the leading characters in the film say to him, I completely misjudged you. Right. So there is a sense in which men can rise to the occasion. One of the most prominent examples in scripture that I can think of is Paul and Barnabas. Right. Yes. So Paul says, I won't have anything to do with that dude. He abandoned us. (laughs) Right. But later, Barnabas does rise back to the the challenge. And so I would say for men, it's an encouragement that even if you've had those moments, look, Peter was the best of men, but the best of men are men at best. Right. Peter failed the Lord. And we're fools if we don't think we have and would also. Right. Given the right situation. So
4: there's a balance here between saying, look, people can recover. Right, right. And and Peter is such a classic example because his his
2: third betrayal is to a little girl. Oh.
0: <laughs> and it hurts cuz we have all been there. Right. She, and and you're like, what are you
1: afraid of? <laughs> well, and refusing to acknowledge that you either can be wrong or have been wrong, have right. been wrong is not a manly virtue. Right. It's definitely a manly virtue to not only accept criticism but judge it and then make changes if that's what's necessary. That's one of those, if it's the right thing to do, you should do it. And that includes being told you're wrong. Right. And this is why. And then you judge that and you're like, ooh, yeah, you might be right. I might have to make some changes. But the inability or the in the unwillingness to change yourself or to accept that you might be wrong is where you get into trouble with, you know, headed toward the more macho, like, well, I'm a man. and
4: so. Right. Of course I'm right. Now, there comes a point where you have to accept critique, criticism. Right. And you... Well, and we, we might get to this. I, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. <laughs> but
0: we might get to Braveheart. We might. We might get <laughs> Someday. there. But one of my all-time favorite scenes in that movie is probably not the scene that most people would think of. It's a scene where William Wallace is in prison, and he's praying to God, and he says, Lord, I am so afraid right now. Right. And how many good men have said, I'm afraid of what's coming. I know there's going to be persecution for standing up for the truth. I know that I'm going to pay the ultimate price. And Mike, you and I have talked about this a lot. As a pastor, how many times do you step in the pulpit and you think, I'm afraid to preach what I know is true. I'm afraid of my people. I'm afraid of culturally. I mean, we are living in an era where if you speak out against homosexuality, it's hate speech. Right. Um, and given the right circumstance and the right people, there could be severe cost to that. So I think it's important for strong men and hard men not to be, Isaiah, as you've said, not to be machismo. Right. Say, like, I never fear. Well, even Jesus in the garden. Right. I mean, he asked
1: for the cup to be passed. Talk about fear. You're right. about to accept the weight of the world. I mean, right. in his manhood, yeah, he was definitely afraid. Right.
0: And some of the best athletes, um, I think about that we, we honor and revere for certain masculine principles, really. But they will say like, were you nervous before that game? Oh, I was puking in the bathroom. Right. Um, one of the best actors of all time, I think is Henry Fonda. And I remember the story about Henry Fonda that he said every time he would go on stage, you know, he's getting ready to act every single time to the end of his career, he would throw up first. I. I and talk, that gave me such courage. I talked to my
2: father, who's a pastor. Yep. and he told me, "If you ever get to the point where you're not nervous before you go and preach, quit. You probably should get into another line of work, right? Because you're you're carrying the oracles of God,
0: right? It's it's heavy and, and weighty, it's,
2: weighty. Work. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's and um, if you take it lightly,
4: you don't know what you're doing.
0: That's right. Yeah. So I think encouragement for men that. You know, so much, so much of the time, and this is what I tell, especially younger guys who ask me like, well, you did a brave thing. And I said, yeah, well, here's the deal. I was terrified. Right. But so much of courage is acting in the face of fear, not the absence of fear. Right. Again, so some great lessons from Band of Brothers. Mike's going to watch it. I will. We're going to watch it together. Sure. And he'll be more courageous
1: afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would note. Um, one of the things I always found interesting, just cinematography wise, which has suddenly come up again, is there's quite a few of like the trench warfare scenes that are shot in a first person perspective, right? which is almost not quite the same, but is something that you know, 1917 recently did with perspective where it's very much in your face. And because right. a lot of older films and even modern warfare, war films is very much like panned out and, you know, kind of getting more of a group feel, whereas like when Damien, uh, Damien, his character is charging through the first trench or whatever, it's like right. o- over his shoulder as he's running through this trench. And the Chaos. Di- dirt's kicking up. And yeah, it's crazy and it's loud. And it just did such a good, in my opinion, such a good job conveying how ridiculously crazy it is to be in that situation. And, you know, to the, you know, Call of Duty tough guys who think that. They can go out and do the same things that you know our military can do Cause or they the did special because they did game. it on the TV. Is like there's a sense there where we as the current generation has totally lost the script on what it means to fight.
0: Right. It's it's bloody messy. You can say the same things about the trials of life in the church. It's bloody. It's messy. It feels chaotic. Um. But again, uh, as men, we can we
4: can rise to the occasion. So we're moving along now to number two. Number two on our list. Not Braveheart. <laughs> number two on the list is Gladiator. Okay, great
0: film. Ridley Scott is the director on this one. Released in the year 2000. 8.5 on IMBD, IMDB. IMDB. Excuse me. Uh, Russell Crowe, of course, is on this list more than once. And he, he really, like we said before... Um, Master and Commander, he could have been on here a a number of times. Uh, We got Joaquin Phoenix, who plays the perfect crazy psychopath. I wonder why. (laughs) I wonder why, because... Which he recently did, again. That's why I said, dude, he's good at it. You've got uh, a female actress. Um, You guys will probably know her. One of the most famous of all time. Connie Nielsen. That's a joke. (laughs) We have Richard Harris. He, He is actually... Very famous. Very famous. Plays Marcus Aurelius. Great actor. And,
1: and his whole... Him as a character in this film is fantastic. Oh, it's like, beautiful. Basically everything he says.
0: Yeah. Masterful. Uh, the, now, this one is one on the list that actually did pick up a lot of awards. This film won over 30 awards. Okay, so film festivals and stuff like that. Uh, it includes on the award list Academy Award for Best Actor uh mike's personal favorite best costume design yes absolutely amen are you not entertained (laughs) (laughs) and best picture so here's another film very iconic what is it about this film that makes it masculine
1: i would start with basically the whole beginning with marcus aurelius as a mentor and a father figure and I could be wrong, but I think some of his lines are actually from the writings of Marcus Aurelius.
3: That's uh, true.
0: Yeah. And so... He, Great, uh, amazing Stoic philosopher. Right, yeah. It really has shaped a lot of... His writings are even a resurgence today.
4: Yeah.
1: And then you just you have Russell Crowe's character who is fighting, but he's fighting to go home. The whole, that's why he's, he's there. He wants to go home. That's the whole point.
0: Yeah, family plays... His family is murdered. Right. But family plays a pivotal role in everything he's about in the film.
1: Right. Well, and he gets, yeah, he basically gets, essentially gets betrayed and he's rushing home
4: and he's too late. I mean, he's absolutely betrayed. And the sense of justice is throughout the film. Right. Um,
2: there's an, I mean, you mentioned Count of Monte Cristo.
0: Right. It's that what same it? sense of justice.
2: 1,300 pages of, Revenge. <laughs> um, this, this movie is he is wanting to seek justice throughout this movie, right? And um, it, it's opportunity is there and he takes it. And there's there's something about that that's pretty powerful,
0: right? There's there's a lot in this film, there's a lot of bloodshed. Um, he's fighting, but there is a sense in which, even though it's the gladiator games, um, there is this pursuit of justice that he's after, which he does eventually get. Um, and it's a perfect foil for Joaquin Phoenix, who is an absolute creeper. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to sleep with his sister. Um, he's just, again, just, just a really good weirdo.
2: So Joaquin Phoenix isn't why this movie is a masculine movie?
0: Uh, negative. No. Okay, no. good.
2: <laughs> well, even and, and as far as like father figures go, you also have Proximo.
0: That's right. Right. Who, I mean... Himself his... is, is kind of a redemption story. Right. Because he kind of is jaded, which you can understand. But he comes around and does the right thing. And sacrifices himself, essentially. He does. Um, because he, he, you know, like Maximus, he fights his way out of that position as a gladiator, which, it's a slave position. Yeah. I right. mean, you have no standing in society. Right, yeah. And yet, here's Maximus, and he's this Esteemed general, but he wins trust among the prisoners. He fights. I think this gets to a lot of the masculine theme of fighting for glory. So, a lot of uh, the teaching today, especially in the church, is that men should not pursue glory. And I actually think that's completely backwards. Men should pursue glory, but glory has to be pursued for the right reasons. Right. Family, self sacrifice for God. Um, it is weird in the film because Maximus is very heaven-focused. Yeah. He wants to walk through the fields of Elysium. He wants to meet his family. It's not Christian. No. Right? No, it's, it's not. But it is eternity-focused. But it is definitely eternity-focused. He's not a pagan in the modern sense.
2: No. there's. I mean, in Ecclesiastes, he talks about God has placed eternity within our hearts. Even a pagan has that view of eternity. They can try to suppress it. Right. But even in this film, which is not a Christian film by any, any sense, there is still this
0: longing for eternity, the eternity in our hearts. Right. And I think especially among warriors, even today, among soldiers, there is a, you know, like death is real. You've watched your friends die. Battle brings that close at hand. And there's a real wrestling with that in the film. Right. Um, I think of what Paul says that, it, you know, if we have hoped in Christ in this life alone, we among all men are most to be pitied. So again, it, it forces you to think about eternity, it forces you to think about death. I want to talk about some of the best scenes in this movie. Um, I think one of my favorite is I think this is right after he's stabbed by Joaquin Psychopath Phoenix. <laughs> That's the truth. And he says, just in sort of a, you know, obviously he's been stabbed in the lung and he's dying. But he says to him, the time for honoring yourself will soon come to an end. Right. And I think about all the powerful political leaders today um, in our country. Psalm 2 is a good parallel to this. Uh, The Lord sits and laughs. But I think that's what we love about some of these films is the sense of justice, Look, George Soros, any one of these people that are perpetrating great evil, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, you think you're getting away with it. But God says to every man, there, there is a time coming when honoring yourself will come to an end.
2: Right. It is appointed that a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment.
0: And after this, the judgment. And I, I, I love it too because... With all of that in view, Maximus does not take a view on life that is nihilistic, right? He fights for a cause and a purpose. He does what he can with where he's at.
1: When well, he builds relationships, I mean, his men come for him towards the end of the film and he has to watch them die, but he, but he builds, everywhere he goes, he has like a a team is kind of a weak word for it, but he builds this cadre of people who are willing to die for him. Because he's a man of honor. Right. Be- because, exactly. Because he is, yeah, he's a man of honor. He's strong. He stands up for what's right. He's on a mission to do the right thing and seek justice. Right. And that attracts people, especially men. It attracts men who are, whether it's because of a failing in their own life or just whatever it is, they see that and they're like, that is, I want that. That is, that is who I want to be as well. And so he attracts these people and, and a lot of them die for him.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great word about, you know, being the kind of man of honor that other people would want to follow. You know, he, he certainly embodies that. Um, and sort of his, like you said, like, it doesn't matter where he goes. He reminds me a lot of Joseph in the Old Testament where the favor of the Lord and the hand of the Lord was with him. Right. And so no matter where he goes, he's going to, in one sense, he's going to be successful and prosper and earn respect and climb the hierarchy that God has put in place because he's a man of honor and virtue. And so I think it's, again, I think it's an encouragement to men that, look, you may be in the position of a slave in society. You may be, and I've been there at points in my life where you're working 70 hours a week, hard labor, and yet you can still be a man of honor and people will follow you and you can earn people's respect. Really, I think a lot of it is because you're living for a higher moral code and a higher moral principle. He's, he's not, you know, we, we, in the church today, especially, we talk about this a lot, but he's not about expediency.
2: No. Interestingly enough, and correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen this one in a while, but a lot of the characters we've talked about
4: up to this point um, were very flawed men, I'm not sure about him. Where was he flawed? I don't.
2: I don't see a lot of flaws in his character. I mean, he was, he was a man of honor. And it, what's interesting about that? You mentioned Joseph in the Bible. You look through the Bible; everyone except Jesus is a flawed man. Well, what was Joseph's flaw? You know, and yet he still had to undergo the same persecutions, the same difficulties, and. um and you could say the same, really, I think, about Job. R- right. Um, th- there's not many in the Bible, apart from Jesus, that you can look at and say, well, where's his character flaws? Right. Joseph's one, Job, Enoch, but we don't know anything about him. Um, right. I mean, but in the movie Gladiator, you don't really see a lot of flaws in this character. and it's, no. been,
4: it's But he still has to undergo suffering. Yep, right. Well, and all, I think any, I'm sure there's an
1: exception somewhere, but any great man has had hard times. That's right. why he's a great
3: man. Because that's hard right. times yeah.
1: create great men. That's right. Right. That's the whole, that's the cycle. You know, hard times create great men, great men create good times, good times create weak men and repeat. Right.
0: Well, and, and so I think this ties in, you know, one of the themes that obviously there's a hard man podcast, right? People ask me all the time, well, how do you get hard? Um, people have asked me the same question. I'm, I'm 35. And they say, well, how, how do you have the wisdom that you have? Suffering. That's the only answer. Right, yeah. <laughs> and you guys could say the same thing. How do you have the wisdom? Because you've suffered much. Yeah, I'm 90. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> basically Moses is on the podcast with us. <laughs> well, even,
1: even let's put it this way. My third son, when, when it came time to name him, I wanted in in opposition to my generation of children's names that's mostly meaningless Jackson Paxson Flaxen <laughs> right so i wanted i wanted a strong english first name right and i wanted something greek or roman or something that was indisputably not going to be you know
4: it was going to be a hard name that's what i was looking for um i'm sorry my you know fourth son and so James and then Maximus and this movie
1: was say part of the reason not like the main reason I chose Maximus I chose Maximus because it fit the criteria that I that's was looking for his middle for. name right yeah that's his middle name so I wanted it to be clearly masculine and strong
0: and the fact that he's short is you know he's just gonna have to deal with it <laughs> 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 yeah, that's right. And I think that you know you could, you can make a strong case too. I think that the naming, right, biblically, we believe that naming is important. That people live it; they grow into their names. That's why we are Pado Baptists, right? We right. we believe that God has called you. I remember uh, Bill Smith was my pastor when our our children were baptized, and I remember the baptisms. Like every baptism, Bill would weep, and I would weep. Because he would say things like, the Lord has called you to himself. And though you, you know, it's an old French catechism type deal, but though you know none of the struggle, right? Christ died for you, he bled for you, and you need to live into this name. So, so I think that's important. We don't choose, you know, I didn't name my sons Apple. <laughs> people, people do that. My son's not named Blue Ivy. <laughs> right? Right. Or north. <laughs> north. And worse. Um, but the names matter. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a part about how we're, you know, if our sons are arrows and we're aiming them, how do we aim them in a direction that is masculine, godly, and ultimately like Maximus, no matter what God throws your way, I want you to rise to the occasion and I want you to be the kind of man that bears the responsibility. Right. We don't often get to choose what responsibilities God will put on our plate. But I think in all of it, we have to embrace, for our sons as well as ourselves, adversity is a sign of God's love for you. Right?
4: Yes. <laughs> as much as we dislike it. I was going to
3: say,
1: I think we're pretty loved then.
2: <laughs>
0: feel right? like You know well, what I mean? And I think of my friend Jake. Uh, he always tells me this. He's been through a lot. And I would always tell him, like, he's like how's your life? We'd catch up on the phone. And i say, well, here's all the ways that it's been really hard. And he would go, wow. He goes, God really loves you. And I would think that's not what I want to hear at all. <laughs> but it is true. And again, in, in Gladiator, we, we see this profoundly. This man has a hard life. But I, I would argue this. In, in all the films, the men that we call great, not a single one of them are they great because it was easy, cushy. Right. You know, they, they lived in the lap of luxury. They got fat and happy.
4: There's severe adversity. Right. And I would argue that's the context for phenomenal, great masculinity. I would agree. We, we see that in Gladiator. So, guys, I want to I move on
0: to number one. The number one film of all time. <laughs> Without debate. Well, maybe there's some debate. There's no debate among not here, us. not <laughs> among us. The number one film of all time, masculine films, Braveheart. Braveheart was released in 1995. Sadly, has a rating of 8.3. Should be 88.3 out of 10. <laughs> so interestingly enough, when we were talking about this the other day, Braveheart it was ranked 13th that year in 1995 among all films in terms of gross sales. This is worldwide. Jumanji was number 10. You can laugh. Okay. Waterworld was number nine.
4: Well, that you can laugh about.
0: <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm actually disgusted. Number eight was Casper the ghost. What's wrong with you? You remember the RC scroll? What is wrong with you people? Right. <laughs> Any minute. Number seven, ironically was the movie seven. Okay. Another creeper film. <sighs> number six. I can't even, I don't even know how you say this with a straight face. Number six was Batman forever. <laughs> <laughs> even worse at number five was
4: Pocahontas. Then GoldenEye. Okay. Apollo 13. I can live with that. Toy story. And number one in
0: 1995, die hard with a vengeance.
4: Now, I actually
0: think this is an important point to make. Die Hard is the kind of film that we said, right? We're not going with.
2: And when you look up the list for masculine movies, Die Hard with a Vengeance is, on, is on the list. I mean, it,
0: it was it's on a, a lot of
3: people's lists. It's on
2: a lot of people's list. And if you
1: just Google it, it's usually and, on the list too. You know,
2: if Machismo is what you're looking for, great. But that's not what we're looking for,
0: right? Yippee ki yay! Um, <laughs> Master, Master Falcon. Falcon. <laughs> That's right. That's
2: how I saw it on the edited for television. Version. Master
0: Falcon. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not what he said. <laughs> yeah, so you have, a, you have a lot of films on here. And it, it's interesting because I think Braveheart showed up on a lot of people's list. There's probably a reason for that. Rightly so. And we'll get into that. So, of course, Mel Gibson is William Wallace. Have we mentioned him before, Mel Gibson? Uh once, maybe. Yeah.
1: Or yeah, at least once. Yeah.
0: Like I said, he could have his own list. Mel Gibson's on here. Of course, he's the 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 main character. Angus McFadden, that's Robert the Bruce. Robert the Bruce. Okay. Patrick McGuhan. That's um Longshanks. Longshanks. Sack of crap. Hate that guy. Brian Cox. We we all know Brian Cox. He's the uncle. Right. Um, I actually like Brian Cox in this film because he's, he comforts the boy, but it's in a very masculine way. Right. It's not a weepy, oh, you should feel sorry for yourself. He he basically tells him like, we're going to make you a soldier, but first we got to make your mind. Right. One of my favorite scenes, by the way, with Brian Cox is he says, you know, little William as a boy, uh, well, no, this is actually the father, but he says, he's like, I can fight yeah, I want to go to battle, I can fight. And he goes, well, I know you can fight, boy. But it's wits that make a man what he is. Yeah, it, the it's wits, wits that make, that make us, us, men. us men. It's wits that make us men. Uh, other actors in the film, uh, everybody knows this name. James Cosmo. Yeah, I don't know who that is either. Director, <laughs> Mel
4: Gibson, of
0: course. So this film actually, unlike the other ones on this list. Cosmo's Hamish's father. Yeah, yeah. He, great. He does a great role. And he gets wounded in every battle. Every battle. He gets he's still, he's cut still making movies. So directed by Mel Gibson, awards, five Academy Awards. Including Best Picture. Including Best Picture, director, cinematography. Mel Gibson obviously nailed it with this film. Surprised it didn't do better at the box office.
1: Me too, because I know people who watched it like 11
2: times back to back Mike, to back. Mike, you so, you, Mike you, Yeah, Mike, you saw it twice. No, I never did see it in the theater. You never did? No. was you wasn't don't have our excuse. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, well, I remember... I did, well, not, I remember, I, so I did t- not see it till two years after it came out.
0: Three, three of the films on the list I saw in theater. I saw GoldenEye, Apollo 13. I was way too young. Apollo 13 and Toy Story. I saw all of those, but I, honestly, at the time, I don't think I knew what Braveheart was. I didn't watch it till probably my junior year in high school. We watched it as part of a history class. I'm not sure you would watch that in history class uh, anymore. I think you could say a hard no on that.
3: Yeah. That's a hard, yeah.
0: (laughs) Definitely not. not. It's a phenomenal film. I challenge one of you to give a a synopsis. There's a film. What happens to the film? Why is it so important? Rave Art's based on a true story.
2: Um loosely, especially if you're talking to the British. <laughs> in, in, fact, in fact, that's an interesting interesting point at the beginning of the movie. Um, the narration, he says, some will tell you that I'm a liar, but history is written by those who hang um, I can't remember how he said it. Who hang patriots? I can't remember how he said it. But, right. And, and so he gives his loose version of this. There's a reason it's hard to um, base it on a true story because the story of William Wallace, the only actual historical record of William Wallace they have is written in a poem by a guy by the name of Blind Harry. Is that a reliable source, Blind Harry? <laughs> uh, um, yeah. History is written by those who have hanged heroes. That's, That's right. The, and there's some truth to that. And, um, but Blind Harry... Is where we get the original story. If you want to read about William Wallace, probably the best is F.A. Henry. Is, is right? My saying it right? G.A. Henty. G.A. Henty. G.A. Henty. Henty. Henty actually has. Right. And he wrote uh, about Wallace It's called and In Bruce. Freedom's Cause. In Freedom's Cause. Excellent. Excellent book. And there's obviously
0: certain liberties they took with the movie. Um, he well, didn't. I think you have to when you don't have every. So this is historical. Sure. Yeah. G. A. Right. G.A. Henty. I've actually read about it through Winston Churchill. Right. So uh, Churchill writes about it, and then his, what Churchill wrote is covered in Born Fighting, which is another great book about the Scots-Irish. But that's kind of the point. We don't, we don't know a ton about him, so a lot of the people argue, well, this film's not historically accurate, but... But the battles happened. If the gist of it is pretty true. Right.
2: And the battles happened. There's, there's, they take a few liberties in the battle. The, the Battle of Sterling was the Battle of Sterling Bridge. Um, I can live with that. The, and, right. And another thing, the battle where the spears that you were talking about earlier, twice as long as a man. Um, some men are longer than others. Um, that battle actually did take place. That was Sterling Bridge. They used it at Falkirk in the movie. Okay. And then the, some of this, the siege of, I can't remember the name of the town. Uh, no at the the beginning of the movie the siege where they took the british general and executed him right that that was a actual siege um there there were a lot of things in the movie that didn't happen well like the princess is the obvious example the princess is the obvious So she
1: was like four years old at the time (laughs) in historical record
2: that would have made yeah. a weird <laughs> movie. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have won best picture.
3: <laughs>
2: and um, so there's a lot of that in there. However, the story that focuses on the bravery of William Wallace and what he overcame—that itself—that is most definitely true. Um,
0: there, in well, his, you know, military genius. Yes, um, his cause to help. Scotland be free. All that stuff's pretty, I mean, that's historically accurate. Right.
2: Now, one other thing, um, there was no, uh, prima nocta is the theme of the movie. It was one of the themes. It's a major theme.
4: that, That didn't happen. However, one of the things that happened over a period of time,
2: there was no specific prima nocta. However, the idea of having to be licensed by the king to marry was something that the Scots did fight against. And so they're, they're going into that. And one of the things that we see in the movie is they get married in secret. Right. And I, I found that to be a, I found that to be a very powerful scene too. Um, It was recognized by the church. They were married in secret. And then of course she is killed and that sets off the, that sets off a huge chain of events. and um, But I found that to be an incredibly powerful scene. And um, throughout the movie, one of the things, and I, I mentioned this earlier, one of the things that is so fascinating about that movie is the friendships that are developed in that movie between him and his lieutenants. Um, and they, they named them aide-de-camp at one point. His lieutenants. And you can see a certain love and respect for one another that can only be grown in, in battle and in conflict. And there's a, um there's a, a sense of there's, there's a brotherly love toward one another that it points
4: in the movie, just brings you to tears. And um it's, it's, it's my favorite movie, without without question. There's nothing in second place. Well, it, it,
0: it's interesting. Um, so I read the book Born Fighting. I had uh, a friend from Facebook who follows my writings recommend that. Of course, I'm from Scots Irish descent, not Scotch. Scots Irish descent. Mike is in the same boat as Adena, and. Isaiah might be partly English, we're not going to...
1: More than partly. We're definitely
0: English. but <laughs> We're going to deny the parts that are English. But what I, I thought was interesting in that book is he draws out a lot of the Scottish culture was because of John Knox, thoroughly Presbyterian. So one of the things about Scottish culture that people don't understand today is, and it actually does come through in the film, was that they viewed rule and the right to rule and the authority and all those things is fundamentally coming from the ground up. Right. So men who would give their allegiance to other faithful men, so family units, then, you know, community units, church units, etc. The English rule was very different. It was top down. And that's actually a huge point of contention in the film. Um, and we have it in a lot of the prominent scenes. Uh, you can think of William Wallace as he's going before the tribunal, and they say, you know, you owe your allegiance to this king. And he says, and I think rightly, this is something we have to remember yeah. today as Christians never in all my life did I pledge allegiance to that man. Right. Um, so that, you know, that's, I think that's really been lost in Presbyterianism. Right. There's a
2: recognition of authority. That, right. That's important to understand. And something else, and you talked about, you talked with me about this the other day. Um, perhaps, I mean, you hate Longshanks. Great. Um, you hate Philip, the high counselor. Get, Gets killed <laughs> get killed by defenestration, being thrown out a window. I, you know, the fact that there's what a, a great word, by the way, defenestration. defenestration that's awesome. Um, he's killed by that, and then there's even more despicable than Philip and then the son, than Longshanks, are the Scottish nobles who are willing to trade out their countrymen because they get a little pittance from the King. Yeah. We'll continue to serve you. As long as we, we, we will increase our title. We will get more land. The people will still be slaves, but that's okay. We increased our land. And you see that when Robert, the Bruce's father is talking to him, he says, you've increased your land. You've added to your holdings, right? This is all good. He says, and, and this, the Scottish nobles, the people who actually had something in Scotland, who had some, they they had stuff to lose, but they were willing to exchange everything for, as Wallace called it, scraps from Longshanks' table. That's right. And um, that's the problem. I think we have people in our society who have plenty, and they're willing to not risk that, and so they'll take those scraps, and they'll sell out anyone
0: underneath them. That's right, and I I think... You see a lot of that in the evangelical church today. We have these prominent evangelical leaders, and I just recently watched the film again, and I could not help but think that these guys are on par with the Scottish nobility because, rather than fighting for the cause of truth and what Scripture clearly teaches, they want to maintain their seat at the table, and they're willing. I mean, Longshank says this, you know, in the film. Well, everybody has a you know everybody has a price, right? And so his mentality is we can buy people. What makes William Wallace so dangerous is that he cannot be bought.
2: Right. He can't be bought. And, that's, and the fact he can't be bought makes him dangerous. Right. Lachlan, Moray, Craig. Those are the three nobles in particular they deal with in the movie. And I'm tempted when I watch it to name him something else, but I won't say what that is. <laughs> I have other names for him from time to time.
0: But yeah, you, you, you see that all the time in culture. Um, you see men like this. And as I watched the film, so and I, I think I told you guys this the other day, but I watched that film, and I was watching it in my room, and my wife was like trying to sleep. And she said to me the next morning, she goes, Did you sob all through that movie? <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: and I did, and I think because particularly, with more experience under my belt, right, as as a little bit older man, I've lived through the betrayals, right. I've lived through the heartache. And I think one of William Wallace's the grievances that he had is if the Scottish people would just come together and they would maintain their honor and not be sold out, then they, they were undefeatable. But the problem is, in in this poignant scene, I don't think William Wallace says anything. But when Robert the Bruce takes off the helmet, Ugh. the look of betrayal I was sobbing. Because I have been there. I've had elders do that. I've had other men where I think, man,
4: why would you?
2: You, you sold him out. Interestingly enough, and just to be fair, this is the scene in the movie that the Scots hated the most because they thought that was an unfair betrayal of Robert the Bruce. Because it was harsh. Yeah, because they they say Robert the Bruce never betrayed him. And yeah, I think that's
1: more for dramatic effect for the film than more and, than historically And, and
2: um, but for the film. That was one of the more powerful scenes of the movie because when he rips the helmet off and sees who it is, he just drops to his knees and he's defeated. Right. Because he 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 was betrayed by the person he thought was the...
0: Right. And whether or not that scene is true, there's certainly historical record for the sellout of the Scottish nobility. There was definitely a sellout, whether it came for the Bruce or not. Right. And ultimately, here's the other point. Again, we talked about Peter. We talked about people who betrayed in the past. I think one of the encouragements from the film that I took away from it was if, if one man will stand up, William Wallace, if one man will rise in courage and faithfulness, and he will say, as the Christian martyrs have throughout history, I'll lose my life for this. Right. It steals the spine of other men. It encouraged the Bruce. And, and again, one of the most poignant scenes in the film, I think, is the final battle. Right. And the other Scottish nobility, like, Mike, you've talked about yeah, this.
2: The, the, and, and Braveheart is a movie where you have to look at facial expressions. You have to. Because facial expressions are so much in, in that film.
0: Right. And so there's this scene where...
4: And I, Robert the Bruce, rode out to pay homage to the armies of the
2: English king and accept his endorsement of my
1: crown.
4: I hope you've washed your ass this morning about to be kissed by a king.
3: You have bled with worse! Now bleed with me! In the year of our Lord, 1314, patriots of Scotland, starving and outnumbered,
4: charged the fields of Bannockburn. They fought like warrior poets.
3: They fought like Scotsmen. And won their freedom.
1: And it's just, that's a goosebumps moment right there. Because it And the, guy, the whole and the guy,
2: Right, And the guy next to him, the look <laughs> on his face, because he's thinking, he's thinking, we finally got this. And he just hangs his head. And the look on the king's face, the guy's face, he just told the king, to wash his ass. He's sitting there and he's just like this terrified look on his face of what? We we've woken the dragon. Well, but you, you know? can't
1: have that scene. And it echoes a, a scene earlier in the film where the first time Wallace shows up with his guys and the nobles are about to do the same thing. They're gonna, you know, negotiate, come back with something, and go home. That's their plan. And they ride off and he starts to ride with them and they go, William, where are you going? He goes, I'm gonna pick a fight. And it's like because they were not going to stand up for what was right. And so you have, he's going to go pick a fight. He's going to go be aggressive and make them fight him. And he's going to bring everyone with him.
2: Yeah. Because in that scene, right before he rides out to pick a fight, the, the English Lord is out there and he's telling him, he says, we will give you matching 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 his dates here. And all the guys are sitting here. I'm not going to fight for them. (laughs) Why are they going to fight for that? You know, they're not getting anything out of it. And, um, yeah, so William Wallace you have bled takes with Wallace, bleed with me. Right, you bled with
0: Wallace,
2: now you, bleed with me. So Wallace is obviously
1: the reason why it works for Robert, right? He he's kind of right. grown. Not that the betrayals necessarily his fault because it was more of his father's doing, but he still went along with it to a degree, you know what I mean? And then but you have the redemption at the end where he realizes what he's done wrong and what he needs to do to correct it as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's so prominent and, um, you know, we, one of the scenes, well, there's many scenes, but where Wallace is charging Bruce and this is important. So I think in our culture today, we've talked about Romans 13, but I think William Wallace does a really good job of taking sort of a Romans 13 approach with Robert the Bruce and saying to him, God has appointed you to lead now lead. You know, he's crying out to him. He says, unite us. And there's that poignant scene, right, where William Wallace says, look, you have the title, but men don't follow titles. They follow courage. Right. And there is this longing in Bruce throughout the film where, like, he'll go and talk to his, you know, decrepit, nasty dad. <laughs> in more ways than one. Yeah, yeah. In more ways than one. Coward. <laughs> very, um, he does what's expeditious. But it's, it's interesting because Bruce, you can tell he's longing. He's I want to be that kind of man. He's longing yeah, for Yeah, he Kurt. wants
1: to be he, William.
0: He, he wants to be that way. And what I think is important about it for, for men in our culture, one of the things that strikes me about these films, so I asked on the people who follow me on Facebook, it's a wide swath of men from all walks of life, conservative, some not so conservative. They all seem to identify manhood in these films. Yeah. But what strikes me is, I looked at the list, I looked at the names of the people who posted, and I thought to myself, "So why don't you live what you love? You admire these qualities and these characteristics in men, but your life and our lives are nothing like that. We, we work for these corporate jobs, and we say, "Well, I can't say anything because they would fire me." You know, we, we can't speak the truth in our church because people would leave. We can't speak the truth because it would upset this elder or that elder, or you know the old ladies in the back would crown at me if i did it <laughs> so where is the gap and this is this is i think it kind
4: of ties all of this together how do we become the men that we revere i think you have to admit what you're you? not
1: and, right. and then that's a starting like, point. this is i am not this and i want to be this so then we move
4: forward right yeah, i think that's fair i think one of the most prominent Uh, themes I saw in Teddy
0: Roosevelt's biography was that there was a point in his life where his father kind of called him out, right? He said, Teddy, you have the mind, but you don't have the body. And if you want to go as far as your mind can take you, you need to have the body. And so like this very fatherly sage wisdom of saying, you don't measure up, son. And so Teddy goes and he makes himself. And he, he ends up going and working at a Montana ranch he comes back, people respect him. But there was a very, like you said, Isaiah, there was a very poignant moment in that man's life where he said, I do not add up. I want to be William Wallace. I want to be Decimus Meridius Maximus. I want to be Mel Gibson and We Were Soldiers. I want to be Cinderella Man. I want to be the kind of man that lives that way with discipline and sacrifices for other people. You're right. It starts with the confession. That's not me. Okay, we have to be honest with ourselves. And then I think from there, you have a firm starting point. And then you have to do something. If you, don't, if you
1: just acknowledge and it, it and don't do anything, you've not made a change.
0: That's exactly right. Uh, one of the great lines, uh, I would recommend it to you guys and, and to anyone, and The Gates of Fire, Stephen Pressfield. Again, his book on the three hundred. There's a scene toward the end of the battle where they're all sitting around the campfire. Like the last night of the battle, they know they're all going to die. And they're all talking and they're philosophizing about war. And the main commander comes in and he said, less philosophy, more action. Right. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a good point for men. Like we can talk about these things. But the ultimate point of it is you have, you have to take action. Right. Right. So that's my question as is, is we talk about these films. How do men take action to be the kind of men that they revere in these films?
1: Well, I, I and this is going to be unpopular, but there's certain things.
4: <laughs> uh, I think it physically training. I mean, if you can't, obviously there are, there are going to be exceptions, but you should
1: be able, I look at it this way. You should be able to defend yourself and
0: yours. And none of these men were right. obese, and lazy guys. And if you guys, can't do that, no. then we don't revere that. Don't revere no. that. But no. you need to start. Like that's why Job
2: of the Hut's <laughs> not on our list. Like
1: you need to be strong. You need to be strong mentally, right? That's uh, that's obvious, just from scripture, from from s- s- Proverbs, and but you there is a point where you do need to be strong physically as well. If someone breaks into your house, you need to be the one to. You need to be there, willing, able to repel that person, and that then takes you to weapons and firearms. And can you can you defend yourself if you have to?
0: Right. So there's an element where I would actually argue this is one of the fundamental tenets of masculine virtue: is discipline, yep. and not just discipline of your mind, but discipline yeah. of your discipline body. in your right. whole life. You, to, you you have to embrace it for the whole of life. There can be no area in your life where you say, well, that's off limits to God and the word. Right. It all has to come under the authority of scripture. I I would add
2: one other area to that that I think is critical. Who you hang out with shapes who you are. Absolutely. If you want to see who you are, look at your friends and look at them honestly. Because if you're hanging out with people that are wimps, guess what? You're learning something about yourself. Right. People have to sharpen you.
0: And don't you think a lot of times though, I know this is true, like it's true for men when we pick our male relationships, but it's also true for like single guys when you pick women. I know a lot of dudes who say, well, I'm going to shoot low because I know I can get her (laughs) rather than saying like, I'm intimidated by the Spartan wife type woman because I know she's going to call me to be something that is going to take everything that I've got. Right. So... A lot of times what we do, whether it's a woman or whether it's a man, we say, well, I'm just going to aim low, then, then success. Like, oh, I remember a cartoon. It was in my grandma's fridge. And it said, Lord, if you can't make me thin, just make my friends fat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it even shows but up think, in the film. I think we, we all take that approach sometimes where we say, like, well, if I can't be an honorable, virtuous, hard man, then just make my friends crappy and then I'll look okay. Well, and, and
2: taking Braveheart, for example, look at the people that Wallace surrounded himself with, his lieutenants. He increased all of them. The best of men. Right. And they all increased him. Right. Um, who you, iron sharpens iron, right. according to scripture. And if you're not with men that will call you out when you're in sin, that will call you out when you're wrong... If you're not with that kind of crowd, you're with the wrong kind of crowd. You need people who will keep you on the straight and And
1: not just, I feel like you're wrong and I feel like you've hurt my feelings. Like scripture says this, you're not doing this or you are doing this and it says not to do this. Therefore,
0: right. I think one of the things that Paul says is act like men. And so Mike, to your point, you're going to have to be around guys who will say, Teddy Roosevelt's father, man, you don't add up. Right. You're not measuring up to the qualities that God's called you to, the, the moral code. And I think this, when I've hung around men and godly men, and I think specifically my background a lot is in firearms training, but a lot of that ties into the virtues, as Isaiah said, of protection, so on and so forth. When I'm around a lot of these special forces guy, you know, these guys, right? I always think to myself... Wow, I have got to step up my game. Right. Like, like these dudes are...
2: They... you got to be around somebody who says, I'm questioning your manhood.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, so Mike's making a reference to one of my friends, Luis, who listens to this podcast. Luis, I hope you hear this. Um, Luis will straight say to a man, he's from Venezuela, and he will straight say to a man who wasn't taking care of his vehicle, you know, that his wife was driving and all these things, in public, like Luis said, I am questioning your manhood right now. (laughs) You know, I I wasn't the guy that was being targeted by that statement, but I thought like, wow, I'm about to go home and like make sure every (laughs) maintenance item on my wife's car is up to date. And the thing is, I think in the American culture, Luis is from Venezuela. So he doesn't have like the foibles of American niceness. Like he'll straight tell you like, dude, you're not being a man. Right and and we i think we need more of that in the church we do that's why the church
2: is where it is because men can be little girls and
4: get away with it
0: nobody's going to hold them accountable
2: for right. that and what what needs to happen when a man steps out and his brothers in the church see it and they let him do it they're really showing they have no regard for him
0: that's right it's not the loving thing to do
2: right the loving thing to do is say hey You're not you're not measuring up. Well, and
1: you're talking about shooting low that way you always succeed. But and and I not that I would condone the relationship, but even in the film, the princess who's married to the very effeminate, yeah, whatever, whatever his name is. Well, he's gay. He's He's not not just effeminate; (laughs) like he's he's effeminate and gay, right? But then, and then you have the king who essentially says, "Well, my son." is not going to provide for the future. So I'm going to go ahead and have to take care of that for you. Right. But what is she attracted to is Wallace. And even though it's not an accurate relationship, right here, you have these, this man in power who has, you know, the wealth and the money and the esteem, even though he's, you know, a soft man, but she's attracted to what's essentially to her a barbarian because he has all the things that, that the other men don't
0: have. Well, it's interesting. I remember sitting around a, a hunt camp, coyote hunting last year, and uh, Joseph Von Benedict is this sort of like, he's like an old world gun writer. Like, we, you don't just don't have people like this anymore. And he was telling me about an essay that- Joseph Von Benedict? That's right. Look him up. He's it's awesome. He's legit. He's got a podcast. <laughs> the Backcountry Hunting Podcast, I think it's called. But Joseph was telling me a story of a Hemingway, because we were talking about masculinity, And he was telling me about this Hemingway essay. Hemingway wrote an essay. I do not remember the name of it. Uh, I'll look that up. But it's actually... The the names are changed, but it's actually the same guy who was the colonel in The Ghost in the Darkness, which could be on this list as well. Val Kilmer, another great (laughs) film. But it's a real-life story. story. They were hunting lions in Africa, and the, the, the colonel is there. Oh, yeah. And then the woman... And her husband are there. They're very, very wealthy. And they wound, I think the husband, he wounds this elephant. And so th- the husband, like, runs away. He's scared. So he goes back to camp, right? And this guy and the woman, this military hero, they go and they chase this elephant. And he ends up killing the elephant.
2: Well, well the- the way he kills the elephant. Right. The elephant charges him.
0: It charges him. Like, that's- several tons animal <laughs> bearing down on you. And he stands there with courage. He does not flinch. He shoots it, and kills it. Well, the woman ends up sleeping with the Colonel, right? It's adultery. I'm not condoning that. But what was interesting is Joseph said to me, he said, you know what it was? And I said, what? He said, women want a real man. And Hemingway saw it. And other people have seen that since. And I think Isaiah, to your point, That's exactly right. With the French queen, she is attracted to masculinity. Right. So these are innate, onboard, God-designed things that God puts in us. So if you're a dude and you're saying to yourself, well, how how, how come I don't attract women? That might be part of your problem, right? You've got to be that kind of man. And and the other thing you could say is, well, why am I not a respected leader in my business? Well, are, are you a Robert the Bruce?
4: You know, is it all about expediency? Or are you the kind of guy that men respect? You're willing to sacrifice. And I can tell you,
0: a lot of the evangelical leaders in today's church, they are not the kind of men that men or women respect.
2: Because they're worried about their position. And their image. Position
0: And their image. They don't want to lose, lose that seat at the table. Um, you know, the predominant theme in evangelical circles today is being nice. Women and men are not attracted to niceness. William Wallace was not a nice guy. Nope. And I think about our list, almost every one of the guys on here is a
4: violent man, right? Well, there's a quote, which I'll have to look up, but it's essentially along the lines of being harmless does not make you um, a, a good person. Being dangerous and having it under control makes you a good person.
0: Yeah, dude, you've been reading my blog. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, no, it's, that's, a, it's a that's quote from Eric somewhere quote. else. Uh, it's similar to a lot of the jo- things that he- Jordan Peterson mentions it, but, but I think like a lot of this is ancient wisdom. So one of the other things that I'll point out, and we can close with this, is when you look at these films, I think one of the things that they do so well in capturing masculinity is they're not from our era. I also think it's interesting when we're looking at this list. None of these films were made within the last ten years.
2: Can I say something about that? Yeah, Um, because we talked about a movie that I'm actually very surprised was not on the list. That was made within the last ten years. Two of them, and you you can put it in the honorable mention if you want. But we talked about 1917,
0: amazing film, and um, put it honorable mention. So deep, though,
2: but talk about a movie with masculine virtues in it um i can't think of one that i mean if you're going to talk about a masculine virtue movie and you leave 1917 off the list i have to question your manhood
0: (laughs) that's right louise would question it (laughs) well no that's a good point we actually talked about this and and i think this is really weird thing to say but it, it was on our list it was 1917. So I would encourage everyone, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, Owen Strand has an article on 1917. I think the the gist among us was we love that movie, probably on the top 10. It's, it's surface level. Like I watched it the first time and I was like, okay, cool. Then I read the essay by Owen. Right. And I said, whoa. And it was just
1: not the... Now, we didn't... To to explain that essay and then review the film would have taken
0: (laughs) a long
1: time to get into all that. Without essentially, you'd have to read the essay and then review the film.
0: Yeah, and I think so. That film's on here. Um, Again, I think our feel was it was just hard to unpack. Yeah, it would take a lot to unpack it all. But I, I think you know, just at the very simplest level, you should read the essay and you should see the film. You should see the film. And what got me was he goes through all this trench warfare nasty. Right, and don't give spoilers on this it's one because it's new, recent. Yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to give spoilers, but, you know, he gets to the end and you realize, like, this dude is, it's much deeper than yeah. you would have thought.
2: And, and the conversation he has with the other officer at
0: the end of the film now, is just this, this staggering. Is, this is interesting, though, because he's talking to the other officer, and I actually saw a lot of film critics were like, typical, you know, British stiff upper lip. Um, he's very stoic. right. But that's what makes it great, yeah. And I actually think that's that's a masculine virtue to be able to rein your emotions in for the cause of the mission, and to say, you know, I would really like to break down and cry like a little schoolgirl right now, right? But we're still on
1: mission. And you should watch right. the film, then read the essay, and then watch the film again. And it'll, I on face value, I thought it was phenomenal.
4: It's just it was so good anyway. much
1: deeper when you get a perspective of how much you missed if you're just watching it the first time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. Well, top 10 great films, gentlemen, it's been good having you. We've, uh, I said in the beginning, I was going to keep my shows under 20 minutes.
2: I think you need to divide this one into three or four shows.
0: <laughs> I think it gets well, a pound. <laughs> fail, <but laughs> I think it was worth it. So hopefully everybody, the listeners, you found this useful. Hope it's encouraging. Hope it encourages you to pursue hard masculinity and masculine virtue. Thanks for listening to the Hard Men Podcast. Of course, you can follow me at ericconn.com. That's E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N.com. Or on Twitter, E-R-I-C underscore C-O-N-N. And be sure to check the show notes and my Hard Men Podcast Facebook page for more information on the books, articles, and resources we mention in this podcast. Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.